and welcome to episode 369 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett, and today we have plenty to get into. Liverpool left it late to sneak by Crystal Palace as Roy Hodgson says there is nothing left that he will miss about football when he finally retires. Pressure on Eric Ten Hag increased as Manchester United were hammered at home by Bournemouth. Aston Villa topped off a fantastic week by securing victory against Arsenal in controversial circumstances. Sean Dyche was pleased with the lack of dancing as Everton sent Chelsea further down the table. Man City survived a scare to overcome Luton without Erling Haaland. And Callum Wilson was unhappy with the lack of respect shown as Tottenham slapped Newcastle. Silly. TK, how are we doing today? Excellent. Big energy. It's a good intro. It was. I went a bit too hard with the hello. I was feeling a bit... <laughs> Getting myself worked up. We will start with Palace Liverpool. I'd probably say quickly now. It's the worst weekend of results for me personally that I can remember in quite some time. Hmm. Even last season, there would be times where we would slip up and Man City would around the same time and it yeah. would kind of make it a little lighter and they were the only real other. Uh, team Didn't to, have to worry, worry about, about. Else but then a simpler time for you this us losing liverpool city spurs winning united and chelsea losing the novelties wearing off somewhat <laughs> although the circumstances for united did make it a little sweeter i was about to say but then someone even remarks on it at the time i didn't want to enjoy the united loss too much because i've learned from my mistakes and the second we lost i thought well, now I wish I really had dined out on it because once Should've. we've lost, yeah. it feels like I'm kind of cheating a bit if I if I try exactly leading into it now. So I've learnt for future reference. Harvey Elliott was the hero as Liverpool came from behind to beat Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park. So we hadn't scored for Liverpool since January's FA Cup tie against Brighton. Yeah. A near year-long goal drought. Yeah, it's a little weird. A super sub who hasn't scored since. Um, I was sure I remembered some in there. Has he had a couple ruled out or something? I feel like. Yeah, I wasn't. That was one of those stats where I heard, and I was like, "You could tell me this, and I just won't check it." <laughs> and I'm someone who's watching these games. Um, I thought he had one. I thought he had one in the cup as well. Yeah, I thought that was like massively deflected, or maybe it was in. Next, that said in. In the FA, yeah, in the FA Cup tie, because I thought there was like a massively deflected one that yeah. he had, but yeah, I thought he'd, I thought he'd come on. Yeah, and it's the Athletic well. that fed me that so. info, so mm. they're the ones uh, to blame if not. Mateta had put Palace ahead from the spot. There's an earlier penalty that was ruled out by VAR. Salah equalised after a Jordan Ayew red card, and then Elliot did what we've already mentioned. If we start with the overall performance, at least to the point where Ayu gets sent off, would you say it was uncharacteristic for this season, entirely characteristic of this particular kickoff time, or just characteristic of your first halves of late? Oh, you give me a list of options <laughs> yeah. there. Um, I wouldn't say entirely characteristic for this season, though. The rest, probably, it falls under. Um, haven't been great in the early kickoffs. First halves have been a bit ropey in a lot of games and put those two together and it's been very ropey. It was a bad performance, but not like some of our bad performances have been. It was, we were struggling to create, obviously don't have a shot on target until the goals. Um, Palace did their part well. You kind of, if you go, 
a Roy Hodgson team set up be hard to beat. They were definitely that. Um, so yeah, whereas a lot of our other bad performances have been Jesus Christ, why are they so open? Yeah. But we're you know but we're scoring goals still, so it's a weird one. I don't know if that's more or less reassuring that we were bad, but in a different way to how we've sometimes been. You've come from behind six times already this season. It is one of those where you're getting praised for the stat at the minute. The minute you get held to a draw or lose whatever, you're gonna, you can't keep coming back from behind. It's going to be what people say. You've now scored more stoppage time goals under Klopp than United did under Fergie. <laughs> oh, it's Klopp time. I saw that this week. It, I think it was like 17 to 16 now. That's class. Mentality monsters. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What is the the cause of this, whether you want to focus specifically on this game or in the bigger picture? Is it like no natural six to build from? Is it a dip in the form of some of your creators? Or do you think, is there a case maybe that you're overcompensating for some fragility at the back? And so... Yeah, I don't get the feeling of that. It doesn't seem like the shape is changing much. Um, it is hard to put your finger on because you don't just want to make this about tiredness. But I'm looking at some of the performances, especially in the uh, prime games in midweek, maybe just because you can flick between them a little bit. So you get a lot of teams looked either a bit flat or a bit leggy in a lot of performances. Not in the Arsenal-Luton one, there was plenty of energy <laughs> in that. But in a lot of the games, I was looking at these teams thinking some flat performances here and a few of our players are looking not like it. I wouldn't say because he's still putting himself about, for example, in the Sheffield game, he put in a great shift, but someone like Zabozlai just doesn't look quite as sharp as he did no. in the first few games. Still putting in decent enough performances, but on the ball, he's not quite taking the chances that he was before. Uh, him, I guess, you'd look at the midfield today um, against Palace, sorry, on Saturday, and you'd have said, him and Gravenberg, you know, we should be able to create something with them. They should be able to, you know, go beyond the man uh, and create and they just kind of didn't. They weren't making those runs into the box. They often do. They weren't getting on the ball in the fashion they can do. Um, yeah, whether that's just a collection of games in a short space of time, I don't know. But I mean, we're about halfway through this busy period, so it's only going to get worse. Yeah, he, he did set the bar particularly high That's true. Yeah. at the start of the season. And I think before and in some of these games, I've, I've leveled this criticism at Arsenal before, and it's to do with the squad planning and that you've got some great defenders and some great attackers and then the bridging it together is where the issue really is. And in players like McAllister and Graven Birch, I would say they're two that are very good at bridging that gap if you can get them in the team and flow in smoothly. Spozlai maybe is not the man that I would have looked at to be picking it up from deep and then driving forward. He's he's far more of how he's broken it down previously as like a final ball guy. But then he does far more of the connecting than I would have expected Yeah, agreed. coming into the season. It's maybe just his go-to would be more of being the guy that you're going to find in the, in the final third of the pitch where he's having to do more of the defensive stuff now and that's going to be tiring on you if you aren't used to doing it and this is the period where that will happen. You've got Europa League now on top of this. I have to imagine Klopp won't be fielding a very strong side He should tomorrow. be putting out a disgraceful team. He'll probably, again, we said about Arteta with Saka, he'll probably play Salah for the full night, but please don't, Jürgen. Well, I've seen people make the point. I know in the Champions League, it's like 2.8 million you get for every win in the Champions League. Um, and so maybe there'll be something there. I mean, there. what's that, really? Yeah, you know? yeah, I'm, yeah. if I'm looking at yeah, it yeah. from... Uh, it may just be because we lost at the weekend, he wants to bounce back and then... I, I don't like it either way. I think no, we've got enough... No, no. 
ringers in there. And- Jürgen has played players that have got injured in dead robbers previously as well, so I would Ooh. advise against it. Yeah, if, if, if you think for us, um, last season, Saliba and Tommy Asu going down in one yeah. game. In one yeah, yeah. game. Um, the refereeing decisions obviously were a big part of the narrative coming out of this game. Palace thought they had a penalty early doors. Will Hughes emerged with the ball after challenging Endo from behind, plays it into Edward, who's then swiped by Van Dyke and a penalty is awarded. Not great by Van Dyke here, ultimately. Doesn't matter. No. They look clumsier than I would imagine from him, and probably. I thought it was clumsier than I imagined in the Newcastle game, and I've not seen a moment like that since. Yeah, tricky because. Um... Definitely in this one as well. He has to put the foot in, so he can't not do it. Uh, he'd be getting hammered if he did. Yeah. So, yeah, it didn't look great. But also, half the team was caught appealing the free kick as well, <laughs> weren't they? The play to the whistle doesn't really exist in the Prem. No, yeah, because Andy Madley is then sent to the monitor. He watches it countless times before finally rescinding the swat kick. I thought this was indicative of almost every issue we have with the system in this country we start with an idiot in the middle who can't spot the foul. <laughs> He's then told he should take another look at it. He takes another look at it and he clearly stands by his initial decision. Yep. But the game is re-officiated by a bloke in a booth and so then a decision's made by him. It's alarming that he can't see that it's a foul when he's, having, when he's watching in fast motion, slow motion, all of these things. But it's equally bad that we've got this guy upstairs taking over the game because he's basically saying you don't know what you're watching here. I'm going to have to step in. Yeah, he has fully superseded him, hasn't he? The VAR was running it. Uh, I was surprised that he didn't give it initially. Normally, refs bite on any sort of foul like that. They give it to the sort of defending team because of this instance. They don't want a goal to go in and then be like, hang on, you didn't spot the foul. I'm surprised he didn't give it in real time. Very surprised then took about three minutes to give the decision watching VAR. And kind of like you said, if you genuinely do stand by your decision... I think you're wrong, but if you're a referee in this game, you should stand with it. If it's going to take you three minutes, that means that tells me you probably don't buy that it's a foul. And the more concerning thing with that is, I thought, pretty clear. I don't think you're going to get many easier ones. He's, I think the one he gets, obviously, later in the game is a harder decision for him to make. This is, I would have thought, pretty cut and dry as far as these go. I said to someone at the weekend before this game had taken place, actually, <laughs> that for me this season, I haven't been getting as worked up which was a lie when I said it so I don't know why I really said that but the the, <laughs> the bigger picture anyone who's listened yeah, to this will tell you that the, the, the bigger picture essentially was last season for all that was said and for all I looked at this team on the pitch and said it's a very good team it did feel like if you don't win this now when you, when, like it, it just felt like because it had been so long it, it, it became a now or never situation yeah. this season I've seen the team play I've seen the improvements and it's very clear it isn't and now or never. Now, the team might not win the league, but they certainly, it wasn't just last wasn't season they were the ball. No. And so there's been, at least in the build-up to games, and we are very early in the season, that it can be, okay, well, if this isn't our year, then I still believe next season it's a very good team as well. This Keep kind of went out the window that watching <laughs> the Liverpool game, I was saltier than I expected to be. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's purely because like you see on Twitter and I don't think I'm as bad as some you see but 
I'm probably up there. There's an immediate trigger point where it's like, well, why, why didn't that happen with us yeah. in that? And just typically, if the referee doesn't give a foul like that, there's literally one other instance I can think of where they actually reverse the decision, and that's Martinelli at Old Trafford, which I still go back to. Just because it is so blatant, the guy is looking straight at it. I don't know how you get it wrong. And so if we're doing the clear and obvious thing, technically it is clear and obvious, but it's not that the referees missed a clear and obvious error. So it was just a whole weird scenario to unpack. Yeah, I thought because of how quickly he fouls Endo, passes the ball to someone who then scores, I thought the proximity of that made it a pretty easy one to sort of see how it could happen. Now, they can't, they obviously pull it back for the penalty that is given. And I thought in, in its own way, that was more controversial to me and maybe I would say it because the penalty got given but there's been more time elapsed more players happened and for what I felt was a more innocuous yeah, foul I'll ask you about that in the so <laughs> with, with that in mind I, I thought this one was I know what you mean about pulling it back but I thought it was an obvious foul on Endo and the fact that the goal comes straight away off this challenge kind of made I thought this was pretty obvious if there was like a minute of play in between I'd have probably sympathised with you and I thought yeah okay well, maybe this was a bit odd well Rory messaged me pretty swiftly after basically to say you don't really not think that was a foul do you and I had to make clear I absolutely there was no part of me that didn't think it was a foul hmm. and if it was going to be that you know they're going to correct their decisions every time we're going to do this straight down the line every time wouldn't really have an issue with it and I found myself appealing for a red card in the Man City game which we'll get on to just because it was like if that gets passed then what hope do we have for anything to ever be a red card again but it, yeah the, the issue here I, I do think even subconsciously since Liverpool have that go against them in the Tottenham game there is a tendency that's maybe the 50-50 decisions, more of them I feel have gone your way recently. The Van Dyke one in midweek, I, I still can't believe that gets given because in the same instance of what you've said here with how quick it is, it literally looks like he trips the defender and then volleys it in himself. I couldn't believe they they gave it. I very As soon as I typed out and the words left my mouth about the um, Nunes one, I didn't really... No. It's... I still don't really get the scissor tackle thing because it was used to be even if you get the ball, it's still the motion of you doing it. Mm. I, yeah, I think that as a blanket term just doesn't work because there's a diff, there's such a variety of challenges that can happen. You could call a scissoring motion that yeah. some uh, some would be a foul, some could be a potential leg breaker, some are a decent enough challenge, which I thought Nunes's was, uh, for example. You are right that there probably is a fear or whatever that well don't give if they've got a close decision don't go against Liverpool because of what's gone on previously don't give them another stick to beat us with for sure but how much that prevails in a game I don't know because in the heat of it I'm not sure you're necessarily thinking about that and also I would then question the penalty that is given well that's why I think that's an easy one to skimp out on if you go right, don't do anything that's going to upset Liverpool. I think you can easily move past that and not give a penalty. Well, that's why I so wanted really fit the, uh, to put that on the record the theory. before mentioning the second <laughs> penalty because I'll be very honest, in, in real time, I didn't see this one as being anything I particular either. And then it has it has happened sometimes where they will panic you and say, 
they're checking this here, they're still checking this, and then you hear check complete, and then we just kind of carry Jura's on. There's a devil for it. Yeah, like it's nothing. And the longer it was going, I thought it was just going to be too embarrassing to pull it back. That was how yeah. I felt in the moment that it, it felt almost silly. Like it wasn't something blatant. We've seen blatant ones before that don't get pulled back. And so the way this was going, and this is just crazy because we've two minutes pass and then we're pulled back for something that's apparently a clear and obvious error. I do think when you see it like that, so if they're at the point where they're being told, you know, check this, I can see how it's a penalty yeah. because it does have, it doesn't get the ball, kicks him, all of this stuff. And if you want to argue that he could have scored, maybe if, you take into account who it is in the middle. <laughs> if you want to ignore the fact that his touch is basically going outside of the box. It's not, it's not, it's a bad touch. It's going miles away from I him. I think they had an issue though, where, uh, strikers would knock it past the keeper the keeper would wipe them out and the defence would be well he wasn't going to get it anyway and it was like but he still wiped him out and so this is that's why that just doesn't work as much sense as it makes the I've always felt with those ones with the keeper there is a a sort of a limit on that where if he knocks it past you and it is obviously going out of play unless the keeper like murders you then it's not a pen but I know what you mean it does. Well, I remember the, the Lacazette one behind closed doors against Spurs where may even be Romero, if someone wipes the hell out of him when yeah. the ball's gone. And the Spurs fans are saying, well, the ball's gone. And it like, like they still wiped him out. On. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is kind of the thing with this one, where there was, if Quanza had like gone in like knee high and you thought, this is just a bad challenge. I don't really care if Mateta's getting to the ball anyway. That's a foul. Give them the pen. But the fact that that didn't happen, and again, like you said, in real time as a viewer, I didn't really see anything I didn't think about it and when they said they were checking it I was at first thinking checking what I don't yeah, even yeah. know what it is you're talking about I, ha- I had a theory that I did go back to check in I can say it because it did fortunately <laughs> it, it, it looks that way at this point when this has been pulled back the ref must just have no idea what to believe and what not to believe yeah. because he's relying on this guy now upstairs to do all of the refereeing for him and I think it changed the style the game was officiated in There'd been one booking before the Mateta penalty is given. And it had been a strong game. It was very obvious the way that Palace wanted to play. Liverpool didn't seem to be shying away from that and were giving a bit back. After that penalty is given, there's nine cards after that point. And it became that everything was a card. Yeah, And totally the entire officiating of in the game just flipped. And it, even if it was that there was a breaking point or something like that, or because the game state had changed, obviously Palace were defending more, they were, they were being more cynical. But it, it has to have changed it. If you're refereeing it one way the whole game and you're suddenly told that two of the things that you thought were fair are now wrong, that has to make a difference and it just ruined the game completely. The drama was still there while Palace were ahead for everyone other than Liverpool fans. It was enjoyable to watch because it are they going to cling on? And it's one of the most fun things to do when the yeah. big team is coming back. Yeah, absolutely. But we didn't even get any flow of that. Liverpool weren't able to really build any sustained attacks. And I think as Hodgson pointed out, both teams were at it. It just became very, very messy. And if you let maybe one of those go, then it can go two ways. We just get a far rougher game now or everyone shies out of it and instead we just got this really bitty game yeah, for the rest of it. No, not much quality. and But it wasn't... It was a physical game but it wasn't a game that was hard to control either and he somehow lost control of a game that you didn't need yeah. to struggle to control. It was We had a... 
we had a teacher who was just one of the worst and we were it was one of the better math sets as well so it wasn't a difficult like class and he just couldn't control the class like people were like jumping on tables <laughs> how is how would you cope with like the bottom set i've always thought how do you get by in a day and it's kind of like with the ref it was, this was this wasn't a difficult game so what are you going to do in a game where first five minutes people are putting in challenges that could be deemed i don't know a red card any other time in the game. how do you how would you get to grips with that sort of game this was by contrast just a bit of a nothing game wasn't many chances, wasn't a lot of sort of highlights, even in challenges. It was just, yeah, a load of nothing, really. I was going to ask your thoughts on him subbing Kwanzaa immediately after giving away the penalty. I thought that was, it, it made sense, but I also thought it was strange. Just usually they'll leave him on to make a point almost. Yeah, and it didn't feel like he was, he'd had a good game. And it was didn't feel like he was, oh God, his head might go now, or he's looking shaky. So... Yeah, I know what you mean, but to be honest, he's probably going to get a lot more game time <laughs> looking at well, the uh, situ- squad situation. I guess the, the point is now that if, if Matip is fit, then Kanate starts that game. But because Matip is now injured, you're going to have to manage Kanate's minutes like you've never managed them before. Yeah, and I think um, maybe it's something we'll come on. I think he would look at playing Joe Gomez at right back a lot more than that. He's come on a couple of times and done this, played a bit in there in Europe. I think he might look at that and moving Trent into midfield because there's been enough time elapsed now where Klopp can sort of say this is my idea It's not. I'm not doing it because the media or the pundits told me to I think he might consider that only because of what we spoke about earlier a lack of creativity in the midfield at the minute what did you so think I of- thought with the way Gomez has come on and had an impact and with Trent going in it would just solve two problems but because of the centre-back situation I think he's going to look at that and go I might need Gomez in here I can't rely on Kanate all the time so I'll probably leave it as it is I imagine I, I-, I was just thinking that for the United game in, in particular with then potential to hit us on the break, Rashford, he might look at Gomez and think, well, if you stick there, we don't have to worry about Marcus and uh, Trent can kind of do his thing a little bit more. I thought we saw more from Trent when he was in defence, though. I wasn't too impressed with him in a, in a game when you then had the majority of the ball in midfield. I didn't think he stood out in there. The difficulty was, obviously, it was then Palace were just sat in. And so you just had him picking up the ball with two banks of four ahead of him and looking up, trying to spray a pass, and it kind of was just almost training ground stuff. So it was hard to get a read on how he would cope, almost in an actual game situation. It almost no longer became a game situation. I'm maybe one of the few that continues to bunch them together, but I still think long-term the issue with Trent in midfield, much like it is with Zinchenko, isn't with his ability on the ball. It's, yeah. an, it's an awareness issue. Yeah. Zinchenko, yeah. You, you see it at the back, and it's been creeping in more recently. His um his scanning and his spatial awareness is just horrible, mm. and being caught there, at least being caught out wide, you can isolate it. But more being caught in the middle, and I think it's uh, he's changed it a bit now. I thought it was very clear the games that Southgate was playing Trent in midfield in. It just so yes. happens now the other options are scarce. They aren't doing yeah, it, yeah. and I can I can gas him up. Obviously, you don't always have. Declan Rice behind there, you. <laughs> no, but then I guess even um, Zinchenko's have uh, we're having issues with that. So yeah, I I would probably agree with your uh, with the bulk of that with Trent. I just I can see the direction it seems to be heading in. Um, I would happily leave it as it is with him coming in from the right and creeping. I think I think ultimately that's what Klopp wants. But I'm just saying if we do have these problems 
with creating a little bit in the games. And look, this is one game, so it might not be. But if it does persist, I wouldn't be surprised if I did see it because, again, especially because Gomez has done pretty well when he's come on at right back. Yeah, but... The, the problem is that... Problem with Trent, what you say about his scanning, whatever, is that's kind of a bit of a problem with all our midfielders. It's kind of, <laughs> none of them really want to do that other side of it as much. The RU red card, I think, surprised everyone. And it's kind of like the uh, the penalty that's given against you. On paper... When the referee does his report after... They can explain it away. Yeah, no one is going to say there's it's... a mistake there. But in terms of the feel of the game, it, it was it was very picky. And Klopp, and I, I don't blame him for this, I think every manager would, would be like this. It is very easy to be gracious when you have just won the game 2-1. <laughs> yeah. And you can say, you know, we... Because we, he, he said, didn't he? We had a few go our way today, basically. Yeah, yeah. And it was in the space of five minutes. Are you were sent off... And then it wasn't the space five minutes. It was, it was a close. Are you sent off? And then you're trying to chase the lead, and it looks like they're going to break not very well. And Canate wipes out whoever it is is carrying the ball out, and the ref was kind of like, "Come on, foul!" And there was no booking. It was like the the whole, as you've said, the ref just lost the feel of what he was doing completely because that didn't even feel like a booking. In the it wasn't one. I didn't even hear the crowd kind of jeering. Like, get him off! It's obviously time to get. I didn't see. Um, none of the players appealed for IU to get a second yellow, which normally players don't need any excuse. No. If you get anything, it's like right, he's already on a booking. Right, let's get him sent off. I think the explanation they've offered for it is, I guess, one, it is a foul, but two, that there was a break on. It wasn't really. I, I kind of, I don't remember thinking he stops a counterattack that we might score from here. Um, you can check the history of the league in the last few seasons. He's a very strangely officiated player in that he commits more fouls than almost anyone in his position. I, yeah. yeah. The Monday night game this season, as I'm sure you saw on your timeline, he was booked and he committed six fouls after that against <laughs> us. And there was never even the sniff that he was going to be sent off. And then we had Tommy Asu sent off from the throw-in. It explains a lot because he was the favourite to get booked for Palace pre-game. So it does explain a lot. The, it was like the most bookings by a card either this season or the last couple of seasons. It, it's like, it's him and it's like seven, six, six. And Bloody hell. <laughs> maybe he just knows he can usually get away with it. And this time he couldn't believe that, that he didn't. It was a weird... He didn't really protest that much either I was struck by well, the commentator I was, I'd be going that, absolutely yeah. spare I think you said it at the time and I think the commentator said as well he's not I, whether it was just sheer shock <laughs> you couldn't believe it just been sent off for that but if if Palace fans were to say we got jobbed based on that decision I would I couldn't argue with them too much I think the penalty is there's I don't know much or muchness I don't really know there's anything you can say too much on those but the red yeah there's, there's no getting around it. it they didn't deserve that it is very annoying though when someone has been sent and they aren't getting off the amount of times I've been sat going just get off yeah. <laughs> you're not going to change his mind get off so yeah. I mean easy for me to say now and you know this could be wrong I think if we don't score basically immediately after this I actually don't think the red card is good news for us only because I, I was thinking, saying, yeah. the way we had struggled to create anything anyway, I think them sitting in, being hard to break down, I think we would have struggled. But because we obviously get it basically immediately after the card, then it's, uh, it, I'll be honest, it felt like the winner was then coming. I, it was never one that I thought, we might not do this now. I thought, yeah, we're, we're going to steamroll them. The, the red came in and I was checking the odds already and it kept flicking between three to one and two to one on three six five, And I was like, I don't want to back this at two to one but I'll take some of that three to one. 
and then just as it seemed to settle on three to one, you scored, and it was, <laughs> yeah, for God's sake. Um, your inevitables, shall we say, stepped up again in a game where you've not played well. Allison has a great stop in the first half from Schlupp that he really, really should tuck away. I thought it was a far better save first time around. Oh, really? In fast motion, I thought... Yeah, I thought it was an unbelievable yeah. save. And then it was like, okay, he's thought if I just get a contact on this, then it's in. And he's not the keeper to do that against, basically. No. And then that stop from Anderson late on seemed to be in slow motion. I imagine it was even slower for you and every other Liverpool fan I thought watching. I seen the net bulge there, for sure. <laughs> I mean, what, even once we give the free kick away, I was screaming at your TV, calling stupid, uh, won't repeat, whatever. So it is still, it seems a weird thing to say in a, in a game where basically you got away with it, but still some like brain dead decisions at times. Yeah. Goal and an assist from Salah in a game that he didn't really do didn't much do anything else. In. Yeah, yeah. And, we talked about creativity from the field. I think there's an onus on the likes of Diaz and Nunes to step up in these games as well. You look at, as you said, Salah hasn't done anything, but has basically won us a game there. They've they've got to step up. Nunes wasn't his worst, but he had a, still had a chance in there where you go, need you to be burying that really. If, if we don't win this game, I'm looking at that chance. And Diaz has kind of got to create a bit more than he's doing at the minute. Did, did he come off the bench or was he? did he start? Who? Diaz. Started. When when I saw him score the one that essentially rolled out for offside, I was questioning that because that it was, was like uncharacteristically quiet. No, yeah, yeah, he was quiet. Usually he's compared him to Martinelli however many times that even in a bad game, he's just busy enough. He catches your eye. Yeah. yeah. Let's face it, they all get exposed because of how good the subs were when they came on. Each of them, you know, Gakpo, Jones, Elliot, yeah. and Gomez, all of them looked sharp when they came on and, and had some sort of impact. Yeah, in terms of Alisson, we were talking yesterday and it's maybe a larger conversation for another day about how the greatness of each of them may well harm each other in individual conversations down the line. Yeah, Verge was good in this game, but then, yeah, Alisson was just... Considering it was a game where not many chances really happened for either side, he still made two just, like, out-of-this-world saves. The the one I you said... You weren't so sure about it on the replay. I still don't think many keepers in the league still it's a, still it's make a, it. It's a very good say. In real time, games. I thought this is one of the best I've like ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of the subs, Jones and Elliot off the bench, as you've said, one got a goal, the other got an assist. If there was a sliding scale, and I'm aware you can't have one without the other, are Klopp subs better this year, or are the subs just stepping up more? I think, yeah, probably stepping up more, yeah. Yeah, the, the onus is probably on them a little bit more, really. Um, I think he was doing a lot of the same things yes, uh, last year and getting nothing out of anyone, starters or on the bench, didn't really matter. Uh, and obviously, Joe Wall could have been sent off for a foul on Curtis Jones. So basically, you know what? Actually, Palace got let off lightly, in fact. I, I did have that written down. Um, That's my next verse. I don't... <laughs> know why he isn't sent off but <laughs> well, do you think even with us scoring the goal he should still be getting a second yellow I think it? it would have been harsh but it's so reckless it is the a way bad that he goes it. flying in yeah I couldn't believe it in the box it's just crazy and then the um, last point on this game your title to lose now we're saying it's, if we don't win it from here it's a bottle no I mean I think we've spoken about previously on the uh, pod if there is a sentence that goes only team 
to be top at insert date and not win the league I know who the answer is going to be so maybe we can if we don't win the league we can have another season like that after the Luton game they were asking Rice and they do the usual you know this team was maybe easy to play against last year and it was like I don't this thing suddenly yeah, just happened yeah, bizarre. but he was like well you know they're eight points ahead at one like, hang on a minute <laughs> we don't say that out loud <laughs> He's confident. And, He's a confident boy. And there's the asterisks in there that no one ever mentions. Games played and all of that business. Um, let's move the issue, on. The issue with both of us is, you know, we're going to... We nick it against Palace late on, so we're inevitable. But we'll just ignore the game where we draw with Luton. Whereas like, you're inevitable because you beat Luton <laughs> late on, but we'll ignore the game where you get held to whatever. So it's... It kind of... We're playing it when it fits at the minute. Yeah, I will take my hat off for now because I didn't think you could be in the position you were in without a six basically I thought that was what everything was going to come down to I still think I don't know what six you can sign in January that is going to make my mind change on that but I also don't know at what stage in the season we get to where I can still say well that's what I thought was going to happen if you get to say March and you're fine and then you trail off the end I'm not sure I can still say well the lack of six was going to it would depend, yeah, agree. It would depend on how the nature of how these games go, but it feels to me like that is the the nagging doubt in my mind. If we had signed, you know, one of the players I was hot on in the summer, I would have been very bullish, saying I think we've got this because I think that starting eleven would be as good as anything. But because of that situation, it is, yeah, it is a nagging doubt. On to the three pm games in Manchester United suffered a humbling defeat at home to Bournemouth, losing for the sixth time at Old Trafford this season. Can you get much more humble? Well, something that I would, I'm not going to go through them, but advise you to take a look at. Uh, The Athletic ranked the top 10 defeats, top 10 most embarrassing defeats United have had at Old Trafford since Fergie left. And it's some list. (laughs) It's some list. (laughs) What a great article. Yeah. The when they uh, came up with that idea, they must have been queuing around the block to be the one who wrote that. <laughs> um, so Ten Hag's side started with Rashford and Hoyland on the bench, struggled against the press again, conceded sloppy goals again, lose 3-0. When you're seeing that flash scores come up, because I don't know who can listen to Soccer Saturday when they seem to give Sherwood the most important game every week and that's not a man I need to be listening to breaking down a fixture. How did he get that job? I don't... Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It's a really... Even the the host is terrible. The He's whole not good, thing, is he? No. no, really not good. He he was making the kind of comments that... I mean, I could see myself making in that situation if I was doing a bad job where he was like, so Dynamo is dead, would give it the big sell for you right now, but no prompt in front of me. So sorry if that's not the big sell that you were uh, <laughs> hoping for. Charisma, yeah, he and some of the sort of the attempt at banter or whatever is a little bit um, like teacher trying to ingratiate himself or or a stepdad trying to get to know a new kid. <laughs> well, Connor Harmer told us in our chat that for sixty minutes in this game, United were good. <laughs> he does he mean not bad? What well, is that what he meant? I don't profess to have watched the game. In fact, I was convinced if I turned it on at one 0 then. It wouldn't have been one nil for long. Yeah, that's good of you. I've not heard anyone else saying this. (laughs) You know, we were over sixty minutes and they went downhill. Everything I've read on this game says just how kind of 
I've seen the word meek used a lot <laughs> this weekend. Just how timid, how they're lacking threat, all of these things. And then the highlights do them no justice either. I don't recall a United highlight in their favour. No, I did I did wonder about that. I thought there's going to be a couple of chances here in the first hour, based on what it said. But yeah. After Newcastle smothered them last Saturday, basically, it's quite clear the way to beat them at, the, at this moment in time. They can't build up because they don't have the players to do so. No matter how much we're told Bruno is the guy to be doing this, most chances created in Europe and all of that malarkey, Ericsson and, you know, so on. And they got Manu holding in there. It's just so, so, so bad. And with Rashford starting on the bench again, I'm not sure he's the man I'd be making an enemy of in that team. That feels like this the jump too far in that it, pick your battles would be... You're considering that uh, Hullet dropping Shearer. That's what you're calling it. We, I think Rashford behind the scenes definitely holds more power than we would believe. I yeah. think if you asked the people, if you asked um, their new ownership coming in, if I, if you can keep one of them, would you rather keep Ten Hag or would you rather keep Rashford? I think I know the answer there. Yes, agreed. And I think, as you touched on last week, there's only so many of these players that you can piss off and whether they deserve it or not, Emery had the falling out at Arsenal. He, he was absolutely right to be falling out with almost all of these players. But you have to win those arguments if you're going to fall out with them. And he's just not winning enough of these arguments, seemingly. No, no, he's not winning the arguments. And you've got to win games and then you can point to Rashford on the bench and go, see, I was right. You're not winning. First, first game that Aubameyang was dropped... We win three 0 I think. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That's what you have to do. Like even with the the thing that he got props for a while ago. Now, obviously, where he drops Rashford for being late to the team meeting or whatever it was, and then brought him on. They always had to bring him on, and <laughs> yeah. So it's, even then, it was undermined. So, yeah, if we felt, you know, the way he's alienated Maguire and Sancho, you know, they're going to have friends in the camp. Be careful what you're doing. You'd assume Rashford's probably an even bigger figure in that dressing room. BT tweeted out a stat just before we started here and I want to read it out. The last forward to score for Man United at Old Trafford in the Premier League was Jadon Sancho back in May. What? I said that, I that sent feels it to, like that. I sent it to Connor and said this can't be right. Yeah, that can't be. What? He claims he claims it is. <laughs> oh god. Initially, they said in all comps, which is obviously wrong. And yeah, then they edited it, say the Premier League. One of them, we just don't question the validity. Happy of not it. to look at the small print, yeah. And we just roll with it. Ten Hag chose to start Martial over Hoyland. Ornstein's come out today and said yeah, they aren't going to extend Martial's contract. He'll be leaving in the summer on a free Ballon d'Or contract. Is going to expire. And also that maybe Ten Hag thought he was saving him for Bayern Munich and Liverpool with the fact that this guy can't play more than so, two games in a week. I meant to touch on this last week, but it, I think we kind of got into the weeds a little bit more with United. But the whole reason, you know, that people are right to point out that Martial Steer still being at the club is symptomatic of mismanagement, that they knew he wasn't the guy ages ago, so should have moved him on. But the fact that he's playing him over their 72 million or whatever it was striker didn't really seem to be getting the traction it probably deserved. <laughs> Ten Hag has taken Hoyland off in games where he looked the biggest threat he's dropped him for other games like this 
seemingly no reason when he's under pressure. He's not doing that because he wants to. He's obviously doing it because he doesn't trust the guy. What? And whether that's a physical thing or what, maybe it's just that he's carrying a knock. But it sounds like it could be more extreme than that. I remember you said about a potential back injury. Well, they, signed they, signed him, him. they signed him with a bad back where they said the reports in Italy were this guy literally can't play two games in a week. Like, I mean, if that is the case, and this is like a chronic thing. And you're I mean, moving what? to the busiest calendar in football. Yeah, the most physical league and a team that you're looking at it going, you'll probably have to play every game because you don't have other options <laughs> through the middle. It's terrible. Maybe it just feels like that isn't getting spoken about at all. The fact that Hoyland is just regularly being taken out of this team when they don't have many options. He doesn't want to be playing Martial. <laughs> I don't think he's got a death wish. He doesn't <laughs> want to play this guy. 12 appearances in the league now, zero goals. Does have Champions League goals, as Connor tells me. I'll be glad to know if we can add them to the tally because it's going to look good for Jesus at the end of the season, I hope. <laughs> Difficult question for you. How bad are Man United? <laughs> Genuinely, I don't know how where we position them because I'm still in the point where I, no matter almost no matter who I see them against on a weekend, I still think they'll win that. And as each result comes in, I go, obviously they weren't going to win that. No, no. I've definitely been in the spot where I've been, uh, say, for example, if I'm doing Super 6 or whatever, backing against them pretty consistently. But even this, I thought I thought Bournemouth will probably draw with them. Because I think it's pretty clear. United have some talent. It's not that they don't have any. Whereas Bournemouth, a bit lighter on the talent front, but are at this point in time more confident, in better form, and a manager who seems like he's actually got an idea of the system and what he wants to do, which Ten Hag apparently doesn't really <laughs> seem to. So that's a, a bit of a leveller where I thought at Old Trafford, at the very least, it'll probably be a draw, but that's still not a good result for Man United. No. To then go 3-0 down suggests yeah. that I've long felt they're worse than people think. They're maybe worse than I thought. <laughs> no, no real affinity to him. Does seem collectively people are, it's quite nice that Solanke's doing well yeah yeah to be fair because if he does if he does prove himself to be a Premier League striker then that is really squeezing everything out of yourself there because I was kind of looking at him thinking this guy is never going to score goals at this level well I thought the the, in, the interesting thing was that the finishing was never the issue with him coming through that was the, the billing with him was this guy's just a slick finisher and that's why they paid the money for him to get him out of Liverpool then he moves on and it's he's being praised for the work rate and being physical and all of these things but not putting the ball in the net supposedly the thing that never does go away is your ability to put it in the back of the net and these instincts it just seems to have, something seems to have clicked and if it is just as simple as getting a goal on the opening day of the season I'm sure he's going to have a lull at some stage but it, it does a well I'll ask you do you think he's better than Bournemouth now no so no, you don't I think don't. he can go any higher than than Bournemouth no I think I think this would be what he what he does I think um, do you think he gets a move higher and doesn't prove it or he doesn't get the move no I think he'll have enough up and down performances that he doesn't quite get the move let's talk of him getting like a Spurs move and that kind of thing <sighs> Yeah, that that feels a step too far for me. The I couldn't confidently say, say Bournemouth are fine this year. We go again with the same squad the following year. 
I can confidently say to you that Dominic Slanky scores the goals to keep them up. I could, they could be in a relegation fight and it could be that he's got, I don't know, two goals in 20 games. I, I just, something about him where I just, I think he's a very good player, but I just wonder if he's going to have that. He's better than this guy, but the Che Adams effect. If, where you watch him, he's had a good game here, but I just never thought he was going to score. Goal at the weekend, my guy. If Brentford put the Tony money on Solanke, how bad of a move do you think that would be? Well, at least he's going somewhere there where I back the manager and I think he could get something out of this guy. Uh, but I, yeah, the, the wrong move I think could be a bit of a disaster. For him. If someone spent big money on him, I'd be very, very worried because I think he's he's probably got his level there. I think I know he's still young, so he's got time, but I don't, I don't know. I don't quite see it. I'm going to be really upset when Thomas Frank gets a move to a club that I really don't like because that's definitely happening at some stage. It's going to be a real shame if he becomes a bit of a bastard as well because he's such a good guy in interviews. Right? He probably does give the most honest interviews I've seen where I think, you know what, that's pretty much a good read of it. Uh, but you can't really do that. Once you go to a bigger club, you can't really be that guy. You kind of have to become the bastard. Yeah, Potter tried it. Failed epically. Didn't work. <laughs> he like smirked after one of their losses and was like, "Well, a football." And they're like, "What? What do you mean that's football?" That I know it got well documented. That one attempt at swearing in a press conference <laughs> to try and like make out that he's this guy is like, so painful. I don't think it was a. It was at, like a Chelsea charity. Was it like yeah? Event? Yeah. He said like fucking this or something like yeah, that. No, like, it was. What is um, this guy? He said we're gonna go for the fucking Champions League. <laughs> <laughs> it's like come on Greg did you think everyone was going to go yeah fucking come on Greg <laughs> we watched Wolf of Wall Street the night before yeah yeah alright let's talk about Aston Villa 1 by the way the only the only positive for United with that result I do think in a weird way it crystallises what they've got to do against Liverpool where I think it's the only thing it's taken is the worst thing that could happen to them was them thinking they could have a bit of ambition. Now that you go, we have no ambition in this game. We sit in, we got no Bruno, so we can just put someone in there to run around in midfield and we don't cross the halfway line. I'm maybe, not- you know what we're going to do? We're going to come on, like, maybe you say this is the game where Rashford gets his mojo back, stick him on where Trent's going to be vacating and we can hit him on the break and do something there. Do not go thinking you're a football team. Um, which sometimes they have done. They yeah. had a couple of games that have missed, give them misplaced confidence and they thought they can play. And then before they know they can't. Now. Before you beat them 5-0 at Old Trafford, Ollie said, we've got the signings we wanted to sign. That Now is where we test ourselves and see where we are on the world stage or something like that. And then it, <laughs> it didn't go well. I'm not going to tell you Charm is confident, but I had a message saying, if we do win... So it's being considered at, at the very least. If we do win. I love it when they get a little bit of hope. That's the only thing. I don't want them losing too many games because I need them to have that little bit of hope I remember when they get carried away. tweeting at the start of last season and little did you know what you were in for. It's hilarious either way tonight. Either United finally break this barren run they're on by beating Liverpool. Liverpool hammer them and it gets worse. <laughs> or they both drag each other down. And then... Yeah. <laughs> Sancho, Mr. Freezed, Van Dijk, and the rest was history. <laughs> that was a sign of what was to come for our season. <laughs> well, after a big win for Arsenal in Luton and a big win for Villa against City, we found ourselves here going into my dreaded 5.30pm kickoff. And I can tell you already, it didn't get much better than this because I knew what I had to overcome post-game. As I've said, my whole food is disturbed by <laughs> this kickoff time. I'd had four good Gloss Grills in a row. Uh, 
there. No, so you're a Jew. I knew one in five. It's, it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad one, but it's not going to be a great one. It's like the reverse Bronx tale. <laughs> <laughs> you only get four great ones in your life. <laughs> and it just, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't doing it for me. And so I was, I felt sick after the game. I, can, I was going to say, did the game do it? You know, out of fairness to Gloss Grill, was it the game that did it? It, it didn't help. I, I text you to say that I was so angry. My head was genuinely hot. I had to open the window and I was just, I had my head between the curtains. I just needed like some breeze to get to my head because it was all just too much. But so I was about to say, now that I've ruined the result, like people are doing the old match of the day thing. They tune into the podcast to hear the results of the football wow. <laughs> the weekend before. The extraordinary thing is you said people listen to the movie podcast without watching the movie at times. And that's that, one that, of the most extraordinary things I've ever heard. Yeah, it baffles me. So Keenan, don't rule it out. Keenan does that with um, the rewatchables. Is that right? He listens to podcasts on, on yeah, films he's not seen. And then he makes his mind up as to whether maybe he'd want to watch it or In not. Fair, I think Sean's sometimes <laughs> featured on podcasts where he hadn't seen the movie. So. Yeah, I, I saw back uh, the Master and Commander podcast where, I mean... <laughs> Don't want to say maybe part of the reason why that pod's not here anymore, but I had a text from both Sean and Jack on the day saying, do we have to? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wish you would. (laughs) On the day. Um, If I just turned up today, do we have to talk about football today? Can we talk about something else? I was referencing the ending and they were both like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I thought the ending was okay. Um. Yeah, Arsenal suffered their second Premier League defeat of the season. 1-0 in a tight game against Villa. Horrible start. I mean, loose touches, predictable placement of the shots, just a general sloppiness on the ball held Arsenal back. Zinchenko returned at left-back ahead of Kivior. And then Zinchenko really had several knock-on effects for John McGinn's goal, one of my top five rats in this league, and he was very good on the day. He was, he's been very good all year, hasn't he? He follows the ball inside, which gives Bailey space in behind. And then once that space is inhabited by Bailey, Zinchenko's not getting back no, in no. there. Um, Rice pushes in to try and cover that space. That space then leaves McGinn free. And to be honest, in all of the breakdown of the goal, I think Ben White's got off very lightly with the criticism there because... That Zinchenko took the heat. Well, because you've got one man to be touched tight to in the box it's not the first time he's done that and nine times out of ten more than nine times out of ten he is as consistent as he gets for us but he does have issues with backing off in the box and just not getting touched tight enough sometimes I don't know if someone spun him and it's something that he's tried to change in his game rambling a bit here but um, something I found interesting this week and just something we don't hear often and something we would maybe criticise for uh, Jorginho was interviewed and you may have seen the headline where he said if you understand football then you love Kai Havertz right. was, was the headline of this interview right. but he spoke in there about his whole career he's obviously been told about his lack of physicality about his lack of intensity and in his running and all of these things he said at Arsenal he's told to not even challenge for the ball but he's told what to do when the ball is then down on the floor, it's grounded, and what to do immediately after the... T- he basically said, you're not going to win that header. Right. So this is what you do straight after. 
And I do wonder how many players we see in the league where these kind of instructions are just common. Jorginho is getting told this. Yes, yeah, Jorginho yeah. says, he he's told basically, the guys you're playing against you're, in this position, yeah. you're not going to win that. No. So this is how we best manage it for what you need to do in here. If it's right. slowing people down, if it's, you know, you get on this side of him, that's all of these things. And it's probably is more common than we think, but I'd, not say I'd never considered it, but it's just, if you see someone leave a ball, you mean, well, challenge for it, put a challenge in, all of these things. Certainly some of the stuff with, um, you know, backing off, I do think, yeah, that is obviously coaching is, don't dive in. So, but there's obviously a fine line between backing off and then backing into your own box, I know. There was, so that's, that's one of those things I've always thought, especially when you're at a game. I was like, put a challenge in. It's like, well, I'm sure they're probably thinking, don't get caught out here. Because if he, I dive in and he knocks it past me, you're all going to be saying, what the hell are you doing? There was one Erdegaard bottled on Saturday that I physically, I screamed. <laughs> <laughs> we were on the break and he just said, nope. No, thank you. <laughs> no, thanks. I don't need that. Um, Curious to know how Georgina was bringing Kai Havertz into this. I mean, hopefully Kai Havertz is being told you can win challenges. He, he, was, he was basically... Six he, and four after all. Yeah, you know? he, he was speaking about being a player that he feels has been misunderstood. And he said it goes right back to when he was a 17-year-old playing in uh, Serie B. And he said he was told, you know, you can't play this position. You what, you can't be a six if you aren't the most physical man on the pitch. Yeah. And he said the stats about his passes would come up at Chelsea and they would say, he passes the ball all these times, but he doesn't have any assists. And he says, you know, go back and look at the clips and see how many times I cut the team open and someone oh, else would cut it across. He also says in there how many times the strikers were missing the chances as well. So <laughs> there's that too. But no, it's, 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 he came back to Guy Havertz. <laughs> I think he is someone who is just very interesting to hear speak about football because his mind obviously is what's got him this far. But no, he's saying, he, the interviewer basically leads him down a path and says, speaking of players that are misunderstood, you perhaps feel that's the way with right, Kai right. Havertz. Yeah. And he says, you know, all the things that people say, um, you know, you can't tackle here and you can't, you don't run enough and you look at the numbers and you look at the challenges and all of these things. So it's, and he's just bigger. He says, he is also one of my best friends. So ah, there we go. That's who. Back to the game. Um, it's actually more annoying losing like this because there's just so many things to point to. And again, that could have been changed. I was coming on here three, four years ago and saying, because we missed that one chance and I'm having to f- fixate on that pig who's gone back to his usual form, actually. <laughs> Look at the relegation zone in France. He's missing one chance and it's, well, that was it. That was it for us. Here... If Odegaard scores that one chance, we probably win this by a few, I think. There's something with him at Villa Park. If you remember the game, the Jorginho winner, actually, they'll continue to credit that goal to him. Yeah, yeah. He had one rolled across the box in that game and he drags it wide. He drags it wide of the post, Odegaard, someone who's usually a banker for the shot on target. Yeah, he's restrained because it's either like, I think I've said it before, but he seems to go, I'm either going to hit this right in the corner or it's not going in, thank you. Never scores an okay one. It and seems. he won't use his right foot either, no, which not. is very annoying for someone that is that technically good. But not enough shots on target. I thought too much passing, terrible final balls when it mattered. Mentioned him already. I thought Havertz was actually our man of the match. And I think he has been for maybe the last three games now. I thought he was good. Yeah. 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 The last three games is when I've actually been able to sit here and say, 
okay, I, I can see the vision. I don't know if long-term it's going to work, but I can see the vision. And I can see that maybe the Rice Erdegaard Havertz midfield does work. Yeah, this game is a a decent advert for it because he was doing a lot of the things people probably haven't always credited him for. The only extra thing he probably could have done was I know Carragher commented on it in the first half was probably make those runs into the box, but then in the second half that's exactly what he did because he makes a really good run, plays that ball in. It's a nice touch from Jesus, and then Odegaard misses. Obviously, no, he doesn't miss a chance. It's, it's a decent save from Martinez. There's so many. You'd still expect Odegaard to put it in. He he's tried making that run over the shoulder of the last defender so many times, and it's a very tricky pass he's asking Zinchenko to make. But it is also the reason we don't have a traditional left back there. And yeah, you're in that, exactly. In it, that yeah. position, so it seems like I've been very critical on him. Zinchenko is not the reason we lost this game. Well, I don't maybe, think. I think maybe. He's, if you want to boil it down to just a goal, but Zinchenko was not the biggest issue on the pitch in uh, in no, this no. game. I think just, he's probably been fair on him because y- your fan base does seem to be very all in, either all in or all against Zinchenko. Some some people hate it. Yeah, I don't really, really get it. And as I said last week, I don't know if I worded it well when I read it back, uh, listened to it back. It does show up very clearly with Trent on the stat sheet for your fans to be able to say, this is what he offers and I think because you don't have that with him some Arsenal fans find it difficult to I think you have to at this point be choosing to ignore it to not know what he's offering it's whether you feel it's worth yeah if the juice is worth the squeeze the other thing we touched on there is that he has been dropped in certain games whereas Trent just doesn't get dropped he's never getting dropped it's the difference and that kind of I guess secures him from criticism in a way that Zinchenko is maybe slightly more open to. The fact Tomiyasu's out now and Kivior is the only other option means... I thought he looked shaky in the game he started as well. He, he's very frustrating because he has some games in that he looks brilliant and I can see exactly what the vision is with him. But for someone to be that size and that shape sounds weird, but he's it's not like he's skinny. Like he, he's, got, he's got a frame to him and to be that feeble in the tackle sometimes is... That's more frustrating than you being Jorginho and you being knocked over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Oh, if he's seeing that, if he's frail, it feels far more unforgivable than if Zinchenko is. Yeah, doesn't it? Saka again at Villa Park, booed for being kicked. It's just, it's just a mental thing that happens here. Jesus again, the best and the worst of him. I thought we maybe our next best player after Havertz, but there were a lot of players that didn't do their best here. Martinelli, you saw both the reason to have him in the team and the reason and the kind of detractors against him. The issue again here is Saka, a lot of work has clearly been done to get him in the best positions on the pitch to maximise him. And he's a winger. He's definitely a winger in this team. Martinelli looks like a wide midfielder in this team if we want to play, if we're doing FIFA off the manager and all of these things. His starting position is far deeper on the pitch. And he's either in there just to stretch the team with a ball over the top or he's in there to get ready and prepare for a switch to get that right-hand side into play. And he's so much better than that. He might be the best finisher in the team. And we aren't getting him in positions where he needs to finish. He's averaging, I think I said last week, I think one in 10, he's averaging less shots per game than any shit winger you want to reference. Yeah, yeah. Especially the first half. I was thinking like, if the left-hand side of the pitch done something to offend the rest of the Arsenal team, they just weren't getting them into it at all. And then, But then ironically, come the second half, he grew into it a little bit more. You said he wasn't in great positions, though. 
But then I felt it probably then negated some of your best stuff, which was Saka going at Dinya, which was just money. But I think Saka knew early on, I've got this guy. I thought Dinya looked pretty rattled for not a lot. Yeah. Not a lot even happened. I thought he looked a bit shaky. And I thought you probably didn't maximise that. A lot of times, a lot of these top clubs seem to, whether it's overthinking it or what, but sometimes the real simple thing is this guy's got him on toes. Keep going yeah. with it. And they seem to go away from it, almost like they're too good to do that. Like but, it's too obvious, too basic. Because Consa was defending well when he could, but the ball over the top was just killing him every time because there is maybe three fullbacks in this league that if you give them a sprint with Martinelli, are going to keep up. Yeah. But the final ball just wasn't good enough or I it wasn't thought, being angled enough. Or- I thought you would work out the high line better and quicker than you did. I just looked at the personnel and I thought, at some point, also going to get this right. And it, there wasn't that many near misses, it didn't feel like. Well, I thought they beat it a good five times, but it didn't feel like that because the cross Martinelli would put out for a throw-in on the other side or it'd be squared across and Jesus would try and play it back or... Erdegaard would try an extra pass when it got to him at the edge of the area or it would just be passed I, out for a throw I guess I thought you'd probably just have more like the one the Saka one where he puts it in but it's obviously yeah. off I thought you'd just have more instances like that where we'd be sort of I mean there's no getting around it I was hoping you'd drop points so I'd be pulling my hair out and going what the fuck are Villa doing here yeah. uh, I thought you might have a situation where it almost looked like their first game of the season against Newcastle Not, I don't think necessarily the scoreline would be hit up that much but a sort of why isn't this team reading saw the signs here and dropping in. I texted uh, Connor after 15, 20 minutes and said, we're actually playing all right here. Because after five minutes, I thought this could be really, yeah, really Yeah, I, I thought they might, I thought you might be under the cosh. Yeah. And I said, well, yeah, we're actually doing all right here. And he said, yeah, playing well. And then the chances started to come and then Erdogan missed that one. And I saw just about every Arsenal journalist say, we're not far into this game, but Villa genuinely look like they're flagging. Like they look like at times they're out on their feet. Yeah. And it's okay. I kind of thought that there isn't a team that I see his face and I say, we aren't going to get a goal. I feel there's enough with us and the way we play that we're going to get a goal. And it's whether we it's defend badly we for t- to say that. Yeah. <laughs> and it just, after then, Emery's subs were really good. They, the timing of each of them was perfect as well. And they weren't complicated subs either with what you say about overcomplicating things. They were really obvious subs to make. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, this guy's flagging. He's on a yellow card. Get him off sort of job. Each one, it was like, they just had that fresh impetus that came on at just the right yeah. time. He, yeah, you got it exactly right. In, in where we've spoken before about Arteta this season has worked out what's a Zinchenko game and what's a Tomiyasu game. I do think maybe there's some learning to work out what's a Nelson game and what's a Trossard game in that if it is that we're taking Martinelli off because the final ball hasn't been good enough but we want to stretch this high line and go over the top every time when I saw Trossard come on I was I was glad Martinelli was going off because I didn't think he was playing well but Trossard didn't allow us to play the same way whereas Nelson I don't know what you've kept the guy for if you aren't going to bring him on sooner in games like this for a game like this for sure would would be the one. Um, and then I'd probably brought them both on at that point. No. By the way, but it puts Trossard more central. But yeah, in the end, he, he brings on he, Nelson as a left back for Zinchenko and says everyone's getting forward now. Is what he's done. Yeah, and what minute was that as well? Late because yeah. I didn't even see him come on. Yeah, so it's and kind it's, of a bit of a nothing sub at that point. Yeah, it, it's it's never an Eddie game. Would be my overriding. It's never an Eddie game. Ouch. What I can't think of a time recently where I've seen him come on and gone. 
that's the right move. That I tell you, there is a man that divides the fan base as well. Christ, the, the props I've seen this. for him online are mad. Some of the he's still a top scorer this season. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, a lot of them are giving that. Uh, but there was a hat trick against Sheffield in the process. They're shooting down like Jesus because they're going, "Well, look, look at the numbers this guy's putting up," and then they're coming for like. Uh, honestly, some of these guys, I'm like, it's like it's Harland and then Eddie and then the rest of the You're looking at it as out and out strikers. Couldn't believe it. Yeah. Um, on the refereeing decisions, the, the decision not to give a penalty for Jesus after we've seen a near identical penalty given against Liverpool, where it was apparently so blatant a foul in the Liverpool game that two minutes later we're we pulling come it back. back. It's just infuriating and Carragher made the comparison I thought it was another horrible game on commentary for him. Just don't give him any game. <laughs> any Arsenal game. <laughs> just any, any game that I think he has an interest, interest in because for the things that I like hearing him do there's a United fan out there that will say don't give him our games and I think yeah. don't give him like if I was a United fan it would piss me off that he's doing that in the same way. All of these guys and you can't blame them they've Grown up hating Arsenal. Carragher does say a lot. Of, I think it was far different last season when City were his ops in this situation. I think he was all for us. Be interesting down the stretch. If he, I, I Neville, I can't. I have. I cannot blame Gary Neville for not being an Arsenal fan. Yeah. And I don't even need him to be an Arsenal fan. But if you listen to the way that say he talks about Spurs or whoever in this situation doing the same things, it's very obvious. But. Neville's got a slightly odd thing, hasn't he? Where him and Arsenal fans have got a weird beef. Yeah. So it's a. I I didn't think Carragher was bad as in like anti Arsenal in this game. I just I just I think there's a bit of it's become a thing with me now. And you so think I cannot, he's going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. and I knew, for example, there was one point where he said something. I was thinking, but I was like, Lucas is going to like this. Another Arsenal fan. Where they said, uh, it was just the um, Carlos had just cleared the one off the line, and Carragher said. Arsenal turning the screw here. It does feel like a goal's coming. I was like, I know he's going to be sat shaking his head again. Why are you saying this, you yeah, bastard? Since he did that before the Southampton game, I'm, I'm still I'm still not over it. And I knew you'd be going, why are you saying this? Because he doesn't want us to score. Whereas I felt that was probably a fair reflection. I thought you were growing into this game full of a flagging. And I thought, yeah, it does feel like a goal's coming here. But then, No, there are somewhere in, in the moment and there are times where, I mean, I can very openly say, I can be... I think that's at half time in the game, uh, the Brentford game, where for for ten minutes I thought that was not offside, and I I'm so focused <laughs> in that you know we've seen this and this happen, and I'm hearing the commentary, but even just some of the decisions where I'm like that's such a blatant red here, and then I hear one of their voices say, uh, "Don't really agree with that. It's you know, it's just something." Neville doing it with the one yesterday for Romero, he's like, he's mad him. And it's like, well, just call it out. That's a vile tackle yeah. he's just done. And we're really trivialising it. I've gone really off. The uh, hilarious uh, thing on that is, there's a collection of Spurs fans going, Neville's desperate for him to get a red card here. Like, Hang on, he could have got a lot yeah. harder on it. Um, yeah, th- when I saw it, and I went, that's the same as the one earlier. And then I heard Carragher say the same. I thought it was just, it, it's all about optics for the league. And I just thought it's too embarrassing for them not to give it here. Yeah, I, when it I when we so. have had it back to back, especially when such a thing is going to have been made of the fact was it one minute forty five seconds they said in the Liverpool game. Yeah, because of that, I thought there's going to be such focus on it that they have to double down, and we're just going to be the lucky ones. That, yeah, I I thought similar. 
but I've it's gone never in their case. not do that on the same day. And then when you hear them say, no, check complete, and it's like, what the hell is going on? I didn't feel like, yeah, I didn't feel it was that long a check by comparison to our one. Yeah, um, the, um, also, this was a lot more blatant. It was a lot more, it almost felt like the game stopped for a couple of seconds because Jesus had just gone down. Whereas the Mateta one, it all happened so quick, you almost, you didn't really know. Like I said, I, I didn't even spot the foul. This was there in front of you. I texted you earlier and said... Giving the referee a decision to make. I don't know why I read that VAR review on ESPN (laughs) every week because it irritates me every time. Just hearing... I did read it after you said that. Yeah, just hearing the guy basically... Because we know where he's getting... You're right on everything it turns out. Because we know where he's getting his information from, obviously. Like, he has to be in tight with these people to get this feed from them every week. He gets the exclusive every time. And with certain decisions and... I can see why he is the way he is. He gets battered by Arsenal fans every single week. I I, I understand why people don't like Arsenal fans. I'm not going to say I don't understand any of this. I very rarely at people online, maybe a snide quote tweet here and there, but I can see why someone like him is going to be pelted, especially yeah, yeah, when he yeah. posts something like this. So I don't blame him for having... when he. The way he was writing some of them about, you know, the way Jesus went down in this instance and, you know, and don't compare it to this. Last season, Jesus, he at least he claims, was told after a Southampton game where he was battered by Lianco that game. And I think, I think Eddie got elbowed in that game as well. Jesus said, I was told by the referee, but you didn't go down. Christ. And he says... I have to make a decision if you go down is what he claims he was told and maybe it wasn't that blatant but you can imagine him being told it and so in this case he does go down theatrically but he also gets pelted in the back of his legs and it's just certain things keep going back to that Rodri penalty he got in the Manchester derby which there is an example in this game but the one in the looting game we had it with Gabriel where he's yanked back in midair and they say well you know the VAR wouldn't intervene on things like that. That one was mad. Yeah. That guy almost ripped his arm out yeah. of the and uh, In this the case, they're saying about the way he went down, so it's not comparable to the Liverpool one. It just seems like if if you were younger and you would back chat a teacher or something, I can hear a teacher saying, you've always got an answer. I'm telling you to do something, you've always yeah. got an answer. And it seems the VAR just, all these journalists, whatever, they always have an answer to say, no, no, we did make, but we did make the right decision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they aren't going to come out every week and say, we made this mistake, we made this mistake, we made this mistake. But it's such a shutdown of opinion that it's like, you. well, I don't even understand the point you're raising. Yeah, the, the difficulty with the the one being given in the Liverpool game and the one not being given in the Arsenal game, obviously so close together, is that to explain both decisions you're going to have to contradict yourself because I thought there was more contact in the Arsenal one there's a kind of a bit of a hooking motion that he does which you could make the case that he hooks his leg away now if you if it does get given I think it's a soft pen by the way I felt that it was a soft pen against shockingly I thought it was a soft penalty <laughs> against us I you know I didn't agree with the penalty against us shock horror Liverpool fan but I felt this was more of a penalty so if on the same day you're going to have to find a reason why it's not and it just becomes a case where they you have to find a rule and hide behind it. Because even they were saying, actually, there was more contact in the Palace Liverpool one. So anyone who's watching this can say yeah. there isn't more contact in that. That is not the reason. And again, I thought Hayes had more chance of playing the ball than Mateta did in that one. So that you know that negates that 
point that they would make. I'm not really in the... I don't think we should basically police a game based on what happened earlier that day. Because I think you're on a slippery slope at that point. Because if you get a stink of a decision in the first game, you can't go, well, better get in line and do it again (laughs) in the second one. But in this case, like you said, for the optics of the league, I thought for sure they're given this. Even if the referee doesn't, the VAR is going, you're you're stepping in here. A lot more clear and obvious than the uh, the Liverpool one, I felt. He was baffling. And then just the the equaliser that wasn't is just a complete calamity all round. I don't want the first contact on Matty Cash, I don't want that to be a handball. I don't want you the ball hitting you here and no one can see what I'm doing, but like the top Upper of arm. your arm. Yeah. I don't want that to be a handball if it hits you in the box. But it hits him in three different places on his arm in this in this sequence in terms of ricochets and pinball and all of this stuff before it gets to Havertz. The final time actually pushes it onto Havertz and it's, it's, it's his hand. It just does touch his hand, it looks like. But the evidence used to show that is as fuzzy as anything, although, I, again, I do agree that it touched. I'm not saying that. I'm still not sure who gets the final touch. And I know the ruling is supposed to be that if it's Eddie, then the goal should stand because it's an unintentional contact that leads to the score. But that baffles me in itself, by the way. Yeah. That's... Well, it was supposed if to Havis be. If just stepped away at this point and then Ketia bangs it in, there's no difference to I think there was an incident bangs it in. last season. It may have been in a Liverpool City game where there was a handball right back by the halfway line, but because it then led through to a goal, they ruled the goal out because there'd been a handball. So they did it. So it's supposed to be, if there's a handball earlier in the play... Yeah, and they don't yeah, yeah, score the yeah, goal. Yeah. That's the thinking behind it. But I agree. There was one in the is it one against Spurs this season or one against United this season where Spurs had one, didn't they? Handballs yeah. it down. It was yeah. And there was uh, one I think did Gordon do it against someone? I know there was a handball, but Gordon had it in a game, but I can't think who it was, where it rolled down his hand and then because he doesn't put it yes. in the net. Yeah, it did. It's just yeah, it's 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 ridiculousness. Um that whole thing, the referee in that VAR piece, he says, and people are just not believing the ref and instead they're doubting him because he makes a great call. If he spots that from 40 yards away from behind two players, then get him doing every game. Yeah. Because the bloke couldn't spot things right in front of him for the rest of it. When Kara said it's a great spot from the ref's eyes, is it a great spot as he guessed? Because I'm not so sure on that. Because my, my question was, and I don't know if this is the case, if he's saying he's seen a handball, I don't know if that flips it. So in that instance, I don't know that even if Eddie scores, all the VAR has to do is prove that it touched his hand. So yeah. it's like a different circumstance in this case because they're not... But the difficulty is because he says he spot, spotted yeah. it... They're looking for it then. The, and also, that's where, you know, obviously Arteta does his clear and obvious thing in his post-match interview. The problem with it there is, there has to be a clear and obvious reason that the ref got this wrong. And yeah. you would look at that replay and you'd go, well, technically, whether... Ref said he saw a handball. He did see a handball. Yeah. The re- replay show. I can't then go and overturn that. I think that's what happened. And no, the the handball thing isn't. It's supposed isn't the clear and obvious. It's, it's, if it touches a hand, then it gets then it gets ruled but out. It's a, but a mistake yeah. from the referee. You yeah. say, well, technically the ref hasn't made a clear and obvious. He's got it. Well, right. we've seen others hunt with it, where they basically say we can't conclusively see here, yeah. and it's still not obvious. And so when they're zooming in to the utmost frame rate. And they're watching it ten times, and the ref's gone. 
No, I saw that from all the way back here. It's, uh, I'll admit I didn't see initially the, um, the Mighty Cash handball either, so I didn't. I didn't initially see that. I um, I was slow moing it by yeah. the um, Which, by the way, I think they're both such innocuous handballs that they almost negate each other. So if you gave Mighty Cash handball, you'd be like, I'd be telling you that's ridiculous. But the Havertz one, even if that's before, if as long as you're not like controlling it with your hand, bringing it down, or like you're blocking a shot or putting it in with your hand. Which none of these were, I didn't think. No. Or if one that it hit your hand, but it would have hit your body if it didn't. And I don't really, I don't know that that's really a handball. Well, they said on match of the day, didn't they, that it's okay to accidentally handball it as a defender, but as a striker, you can't. And it's yeah, it's, it's only, a whole nonsense. You can handball it if you're a defender, but not the attacker. You can handball it if you're the guy assisting, but not the guy who's <laughs> scoring it. Yeah, it's they so stupid. Clearly, need more clarity on that. And I was glad they did it because it, it felt like it was going to be another one where. Oh, well, obviously you're saying it because it's gone against you this week and, hmm. and we do that and then it gets to the next week and we probably won't see one just like this for another couple of this weeks. This is relatively unique. And then someone will be sour grapes on whoever it is again. And if it happens to United, then no one's going to have an issue. If it happens to Liverpool, no one's going to have an issue. No, and with each of these, I thought there was enough, you won't agree, but I thought there was enough ambiguity that I could I can give the officials a pass and that the Jesus one, I think it's a 50-50 if you give it or not. But having given that earlier in that day, a softer one, yeah. Then you set the parameters. You probably have to give it, and the handball one. I'd say, under the current rules, I guess they probably got to the right decision. But yeah. the rule feels like it doesn't make a lot of sense when you, when you say these things out loud. You're like, I can't really justify why. Yeah, again, why someone it can bounce with my hand and the guy next to me can score, but if I tap yeah. it in, it doesn't count. Again, makes Maybe- no sense. Or the defender can do it. Weird. Maybe the craziest one of the game is Diego Carlos getting away with an elbow on Eddie when I would say in what well, you said before, you don't want to referee it just based on previous things, but there was a big thing made a couple of weeks back when he elbowed Brian Hill in the Spurs game. He elbowed someone yeah. and got away with it. And you would say, okay, maybe it's not an accident when we see it a second time round. Now, again, he is a bit mad. This guy. Yeah, um, he had a good game as well. He so. did, and He's one that as soon as he joined the league, I said he wasn't good enough. So it's obviously going to happen. <laughs> I definitely thought he'd be rash and he kind of still is a little bit that. As, but the the elbow on Eddie is, is insane for a number of reasons. First of all, because in that VAR review when they're saying, you know, he's trying to angle for the ball and all this stuff is just complete a miles away from it, apart bullshit from there. Then they say that the linesman does see it because immediately people pointed and said, well, as the VAR said something in his ear to give a booking, but not a red, because the ref is looking the other way. You can see it in, the referee is literally looking left and it's on his right. So the linesman's seen it, and then it has to be that it's checked, and they say there's not enough contact for a red. How have we got to this where, in the last few weeks, we've had headbutts that aren't violent enough to be a red, we've had elbows that aren't enough to be a red, and then we've had elbows that aren't elbows, they're forearms, it's mental. The rules quite literally say aggressive use of your elbow or, or arm is a red. It's always been the thing that if basically you move your head into someone else, well, yeah. then it's going to be a red. Martinez went head-to-head at the end of this game? Neither got booked. I mean, not saying this is the bitterness of a man who had a booking, <laughs> a who had a booking waiting habits, but, to get yeah. that. So we've been jobbed by them. Yeah, I... My main thing with elbows, a lot of the time you can see an elbow when someone jumps or whatever, and I am somewhat sympathetic to it because I know that can happen. Or sometimes you can beat a man, you can go past him, flailing arm does hit them. This was kind of innocuous enough that I felt Carlos probably meant it. 
So yeah, then, at that point, once you've done that, that's where I'd say the raid comes into it. If you think someone's deliberately elbowed. What minute was that in this game? I can't uh, 80, around the 80th, 78th, 80th. Yeah, I, I, do, I do remember thinking... There was enough time where I was thinking... probably would have done in that case. Yeah, that we could have at least... At that point, I was no longer after the winner. It was get a draw. And yeah. I'll say, good point, tough place to come. Fair enough. Yeah, because again, I saw a lot of Arsenal fans crying about that one. And I thought, well, it was quite late on anyway, wasn't it? But no, that's enough time to... It, it was, on the, on the there scoreboard. was at least going to be five, six, seven minutes yeah. left. And the way they were defending, maybe. But we were still getting chances in there. And we were yeah, pushing them late, back. Yeah. Um, and I say all that to say, the ref isn't the reason we lost. And I want people... Poor finishing was the... Yeah, yeah, the poor finishing was there. But there was this thing online and we've we've done this before because we're saying the ref wasn't good enough and we missed chances it's well if you'd finish your chances then you wouldn't have to worry about the ref and the two don't go hand in hand it can be a terrible ref and we should have made it so the ref wasn't a part of it but it just so happens that the ref was a part of it you're not going to be your best every day and you hope that you're going to be officiated properly we don't allow any foreign officials across. And then we've got this shit official in Jared Gillett who comes over because he had a good clip that went viral of him doing the VAR when it was playing through the stadium. Come on. And he wants to come over to do his doctorate. He communicates well. He is he's garbage on VAR. He's garbage <laughs> on the pitch. If you haven't seen this on your timeline already, you're going to see it later. He's a Liverpool fan. Jared Gillett. <laughs> and so he made, a, he made a big thing that he was able to officiate um, a charity Liverpool Legends game. And there was an article that said, you know, this is the only time he's going to be able to do it because he's written down that he's a Liverpool fan. And so people are saying, well, obviously, Arsenal would have gone top of the league if they beat it. I'm not saying that he's competent enough to do that. And I think there are probably clearer ways to do it than how he did it in this game. He's just a shit ref in a league of shit refs. I do, I, th- I do think that probably creates a problem for him down the line. I think later on in a season, if you end up getting an Arsenal game or whatever, well, I they think basically just say that going you- quite public with your sport like that is a bold choice. Well, I think it's he hasn't publicly come out and done it. It's they have to sign that piece of paper when they sign up with the PGMOL. So well, like, an article's printed saying that you are. Yeah, this, though. that's I don't yeah. Know, that's- but this is from way back. This is yeah, from, yeah, yeah. So Michael Oliver can't do Newcastle and all this other stuff. But at least know. those ones are obvious. Like if you're born yeah. there, like you got no chance or whatever. This is, unless you're born in Manchester, then you can <laughs> yeah. do whatever. Apparently, it's uh, very right. I'd I would say the the issue you say about the the critique of Arsenal fans, or whatever, is sometimes almost will fans will talk like a manager. You know, like where the manager will just blame the officials. He's not going to publicly blame his players. It's like fans think they've got to do that as well. <laughs> you can also acknowledge like your own shortcomings. I, again, every fan base does it, so it's not just an Arsenal thing. But it's a little bit like you'd spend 45 minutes talking about the ref and we'll have five minutes at the end talking about, oh yeah, we probably should have scored this, yeah. probably should have done that, which is probably where people, I think, probably lose sympathy and probably don't really take people seriously if, as if the focus is right, get the arrest sorted and then we'll worry about our performance later. It should probably be the other way around. Yeah, I was particularly annoyed with Erdegaard and um, Martinelli. But other than that, it's it's one of the... If we play like that every game this season, we're going to win a lot of games. And so it wasn't one where I came out I of mean, it... I mean, you've legitimately played worse on one game, haven't you? I, so. 
and I can I can be told I'm wrong here. I can be told I'm just I don't, I don't know. There hasn't been a game so far this season where I've come out of it feeling that we weren't the better team. And now we've dropped points to Spurs in there. We've dropped points to Fulham in there. We've dropped points to Newcastle in there. And we've dropped points to Villa in there. I thought the Newcastle game was just bad enough that I didn't think either of you were good. No, so I mean, I didn't come out saying there's problems here. We were outplayed. It was this, it was that. No, no, fair. And this game, it was it was frustrating because it was like, this is a very good team. I saw what they did to City in the week. And I think it was we've been guilty of this in the past. I don't know if they were playing the occasion. I don't know if the, if they don't beat City in the week, if we don't come here and play very differently to that. It, it didn't need to be as big of a game as it was. Yeah, probably, probably fair. But all of these things play into it. Oh, the fact that Arteta was in the stands because he celebrated a 97th minute winner too much is... <laughs> how, how as a league do you allow that to come out? Yeah, that's... Well, because I saw someone tweet that he got in Rob Edwards' face, but I didn't see that. I, I didn't I see that I'm going to see a clip of this if that's happened. I saw the clip of him on the touchline and then Rob Edwards, after the game, they said to him, do you think they celebrated too much? And he said, I promise you, if that was us, I'd have been crowd surfing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah was... And they tried to do this with um, Thomas Frank after the Brentford game and he said, what are we in this game for if not to yeah, celebrate yeah. last yeah, minute winners? Yeah, <laughs> And so it's been two very good people to have it happen to and speak about after. Yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah, I think there's... And But again, this is like some of the stuff with... I'm not saying bow down to managers, but if you give Liverpool another early kickoff, you're giving Klopp fuel. If you punish Arteta for this, you're giving fuel to the guys. Go, yeah. Why am I being targeted here? Like, you've got to do yourselves a favour. As an organisation, you've got to look at it and go, how can we sort of manage the situation instead? You're just antagonising him and, and fueling anyone who says, "Well, there's an agenda against us or against my manager." Do you, do you think feeding them? Do you think as a league and a product, they were more annoyed with the lack of comment from him post game, or they were pleased with, "Well, we've got what we wanted. We kind of beat him into submission at this point." Maybe he's not coming. Uh, so, which, I mean, which would you think they would rather? Do you think they're happier when he comes out and he's saying this and that? It's frustrating for us to hear him say. Basically, no comment. Yeah, no I, comment. I yeah. think probably they're happy with it, but also aware this probably doesn't last. Yeah, that he'll probably he'll be back. It doesn't look good for the league when you hear the way they speak in other sports, and you hear the way like just basketball players speak in their press conferences after. They're so much more free to say whatever they feel, and there's just a culture now in this league that you really every manager says, "Well, you know, I can't say what I think," so. Yeah, and to be honest, I, I always thought it with... I remember Wenger got slapped with a punishment, basically just for saying like the ref had a bad game. I hadn't said anything, but it, you should be able to say if someone had a good or bad game in the same way as you can with a team. It's when... You, I, I'll be honest, probably Klopp probably overstated the mark where he literally accused Tierney of cheating. <laughs> that is probably where... Yeah, that's probably overstepping the mark. But other than that, when you're going... Just saying if someone had a poor performance, it's not... You know, you're not saying these like... This guy's the devil incarnate. There's the one of Mike Dean crying about Wenger where he says Wenger stormed into his office and he was saying, you're not honest. And Mike Dean was saying, and I said to him, so you're saying I'm a cheat? And he said, I'm saying you're not honest. <laughs> Ever, there's a situation that you couldn't pay me to be near just watching those two. It'd be so awkward and weird. Um, last things on this and specifically about Villa. Unai, 
lot of praise after the City win. A lot, lot of praise after this one. I think I text you. He was obviously going to be praised. You've beaten the two best teams in the country on paper in, in the same week. And beating Spurs. <laughs> and the circumstances of the City win in particular were a big thing. So I'm getting praised that he didn't do a heart on a hoot or when he finally beat Pep and he dropped to his knees. <laughs> <laughs> but if I... I get a bit cringed at when you know when people... You see such and such coached a 4-1 and they've teams lost 2-0 or something. In terms of the way the teams were coached... There's some sour grapes coming up here, people. Just on, brace yourselves. I don't think... Unai coached a better game than Arteta but I spoke to a Villa fan at work today and I did say if Villa don't score in the first five minutes then Villa may have looked that for the first 25 minutes until they go 1-0 up and then we've got the same you've following you've experienced Unai you've experienced what he does when you get a goal well literally so it's I don't think it is as simple as we didn't we played well for 85 minutes they played well for five minutes because of the game state obviously one dictated the other it just seems strange to me the style of play was praised when on another day we score four because of the way they've played, but I guess that is uh, that is football. Yeah, yeah. The other thing, I guess he managed what he had. Obviously, Arteta's got a little bit more talent to work with as well, but also, I mean, they did look tired They quite quickly. They looked, And so the fact that he was able to manage that, again, we spoke about the subs, I thought he got it just about right in terms of what this team needed to do to get the win. If he'd tried to be more expansive for example yeah Arsenal would have killed them I think someone is going to smack them and it's going to be ugly but it's probably not going to be someone that we want it to be it's probably going to be it's going to be someone innocuous like Bournemouth or something isn't it yeah, yeah. just get get them like Newcastle at the start of the season Bosnich was on Sky Sports just as you arrived saying that why can't Villa win the league you know they're a better team than Leicester so that's how this works there um, you go then Villa for the league, Champions League, do you see any of those as a real possibility? I think they can push for Champions League, yeah, especially if that fifth spot opens up, obviously. Um, might not after this week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They might let the side down uh, in Europe. Regardless, I think they can get they can get fourth. I think that, um, that fourth spot, I do think, is up for grabs. I think the teams, the runners and riders and that have probably shown enough inconsistency. I would still say... For example, I'd have Spurs in like pole position for that. But a Newcastle fan listening might go, hang on. I think we are. Yeah. A Villa fan will go, hang on. We've already built up enough of a lead. A United fan maybe will go, you know what? We can't get worse than we are currently. And don't, you're not getting top four. Don't worry, lads. Well, let's move on to Sunday. Man City came from a goal behind to overcome Luton and win 2-1. Ended a four-game winless streak for them. Luton took the lead when Adebayo rose high at the back post to head past Edison. Much like Kulashevsky on Ake last week, Ruben Diaz got bodied here and it was ugly. I mean, at least this one's a bit more explainable. <laughs> I'm looking at Adebayo, I can see how that happens. Kulashevsky, less so. Year to the day it happened for him, uh, was it Morocco against Portugal? When he got, oh, yeah, he got yeah, yeah. slapped as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm reserving some thoughts on Ruben Diaz because <laughs> there's a time and a place to say it, but just... I, I'm with you. Oh, two it? two words for that man under surveillance <laughs> without the general next to him it seems he's uh, not quite sure what to do now unfortunately Bernardo Silva curled one in on the 62nd minute and then a nice finish. Grealish slid in on uh, 
the far post to win the game. Defending that fullback. <laughs> what does he do? Yeah. Pep said pre-game that Haaland had some stress to the bone, which, of course, they wouldn't use as an excuse. A creepy way of putting it. Now, midweek we saw once again, they get a pass when Rodri's out. I the best team in the world and they're the only side that get their games unanimously just swept out of the general consciousness because of one absence. It's, well, City like, Roger was out though, wasn't he? Oh, fair enough, yeah. When, scratch it. You, you witnessed this when uh, Van Dijk was out, not an excuse. When Saliba was out, not an excuse. When Rodri's out, it's just, Come on, he's integral to the way they play. Yeah, I mean, I guess Devil's Advocate, they do also have De Bruyne out still. I mean, so you'd have to, like, two of those out. We got Party out as well, so... Yeah, uh, yeah, all right. It's, it, it just annoys me because a team this stacked, it's it's a, it's like Chelsea complaining about injuries. In- um, they literally have midfielders on the bench here yeah, and they're just going... Pep again did his I feel sorry for oh, did, you, did, you wa- did you watch the whole thing it was horrible no I didn't watch the oh, whole thing I only oh, saw the headline oh it's so bad <laughs> he he is saying you know I I feel bad for him he said if, if you're coming in and you're like then I can accept it he says but no he comes and he puts the effort in every day it's just when I picture the way I want the team to play he can't do it <laughs> oh my god he said, and if he's still here at the end of January, then that's that's fine with me because he's a brilliant, a brilliant player. It's so the just, world's media, he's going, it'd be a great boyfriend for someone. And not for me, it'd be, make someone a great boyfriend. He's, he's just, he's maintaining the value. He's saying, you know, disciplinary-wise, fine. Fitness-wise, fine. Brilliant player, just yeah, not I, what I, I'm... I know I called him fat previously. Ignore that. He's perfectly fine. If you want to buy him or learn later him in on, January... Just, He's not what they thought they were buying, basically. Fucking hell, that's a, that's a pretty heavy thing to be just unleashing in a press conference. And we smirk him when he says the whole thing and wincing <laughs> a bit, so I don't know if that makes it acceptable. He, do you need to say that? You're playing centre-halves in midfield rather than play this guy. I think you, he's getting the message loud and clear. Him him to Newcastle feels so, so obvious. Like, if, too obvious. If he doesn't make a move in January... I'm judging the guy heavily. That that tells me you're you're happy to take the Jack Rodwell approach. I also think the interview says we're still expecting money for this guy. Don't yeah, think you're getting him cheap. You are right. Protecting value is right. Um, Holland was out of the side. Now they have won games without a centre forward. They've won leagues without a yeah, centre forward. Say, yeah. So league titles. Pepper said he doesn't see Alvarez there. He said he can't be a false nine effectively doesn't like him as a centre forward but he's been playing him as a central midfielder so there's a there's a lot going on the question I would ask you though if there was another player in this team under surveillance do you think we'd be talking about the same man you talking about Philip no um, no but he he, he was dragged <laughs> he again constant surveillance questions about Vardiol at this stage I think it's beyond surveillance I think he's looking very shaky I know he's playing left back but so we aren't treble winning managers I've, I mean, I've, I've seen your full major resume yeah. but alright does it not make perfect sense to you to bring him central and Ake to left back does that yeah. not feel yeah but, which tells you Pep doesn't really doesn't trust him there surely because otherwise like you said he appears like he's struggling a little bit 
at left back. So you go, maybe I'll play him in his actual position, which he became this seen as like the most sought after player isn't in he, Europe for that position. He like the most ex- not expensive centre back of all time. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And this is what happens with City, where we kind of just just blurs into the yeah. background that, it, like, feasibly he could not play him, and we'd go, yeah, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, have him and Grealish on the bench at any given time. You know, uh, just, what, nearly two hundred million pound worth of talent. Now, when we won there in midweek, the narrative there was two narratives coming out of it. One, this keeper really isn't very good, <laughs> and two, you know. There's something in this team they're going to keep going and keep going and keep going. Yeah. Was there anything that you could take from this City game or was it just on to the next now? Yeah, I think so. Only because even normally if you see a team go 1-0 up against City from the bottom half and Luton are obviously an extreme end of this, you go, well, they're going to win, but it's just a case of win. I guess the fact that I did have a, just a percent of a doubt in my mind they might not they might not get this done I, I, I had visions of Pep in a rattled press conference after it obviously he's just said I think we're going to win the league which yeah. is clearly a strategy because most managers shy away from that yeah. even if they're three points off winning it they'll shy away so he's chilly, clearly trying to get them going and well there's a few odd things like that that if they were to drop points to loot and you would start to look into a little bit more where we've all been like look City can place whatever you want to call it. They'll get back on. Don't worry about them. This would have been a red flag. So the fact that I doubted whether they would win and the fact that they didn't smash him, it was still 2-1, I guess is a bit of a doubt. But, but no. Because they lost control of the game late as well. In the last 25. That, yeah, there were still chances for Luton in that game, which you would never have had. Normally they would starve them with the ball so much you don't even get a look in. So that was odd. I did think, funny that we mentioned Foden, he did moments in here through the middle that led me to think why the hell don't you do this <laughs> I've said a million times why you don't get him through the middle more often I don't know whether he'll look to do that if Harlan's out maybe that he might be encouraged to do that Any maybe idea? that was the only thought of outside of the ordinary and how reliant they are on Rodri actually because again he was yeah. he had a beast of a game in this one any idea how Mengi escaped a red Charity. I thought this might be the most blatant of all of them. The Onyeka one in the Brentford game is pretty bad as well. No, this was charity, wasn't it? Yeah. I think. I think this was. I don't want to send a Luton player off against Man City. I saw a tweet earlier that said, "Looking at the league table now, confirms it to me that Derby's points record is truly unbeatable. When you look at Sheffield, Burnley, and Luton, Sheffield and Burnley are on eight points each. Luton are on nine points." Yeah, they got 11, didn't they, Derby? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, I just that's, yeah. that's never, <laughs> that's never getting beaten. No, Having it. seen them in these games, do you think the novelty would wear off or do you think, you know, I quite like Luton to stay in the league now. I, I wouldn't enjoy playing them again, but yeah. it's something a bit different when you see other teams playing them. It's, it's the new wet and windy night of Stoke, isn't it, basically? Yeah, yeah. And if they can sort of weaponise that, which I was a little bit shocked the earlier in the season they weren't able to, but maybe it's that adjustment period. If they can't weaponise that, that again, that's a tough place to go then. It's a lot different playing there at 8 o'clock at night, I can, yeah, I can tell you. Yeah, that's that. probably part of it. And as we get into the winter months, it's probably a different thing as well, for sure. The um, the only thing with that is, and I know you can't, you can't predetermine, so right, we're going to put in a real shift in this game and you know what, we're going to sack the next one. But I would always go, you've put in an absolutely mammoth shift against Liverpool, City and Arsenal now and you've got a point to show for it. What you can't do is 
psychologically and physically be shattered by that. And then in games where, <laughs> if you put in that shift against, even like a team like Brighton, a Brentford when they're on a bad day, a Wolves. Why couldn't they have done this against Chelsea? You will, you will get wins. You'll rack up wins. So often with a relegated team, when you look at it, you look at some of the performances, they'll put in a great performance against some of the best teams, but they can't replicate that. I mean, Sheffield United are one of the better examples of it. Put in a really good shift against City and Spurs, had nothing to show for it, and then they get dicked 5-0 by other teams. It's whether one of those teams is going to have to be able to find the balance of that. And again, I know you can't designate, we're going to have a good game this game, and we're going to have a bad game this game. But I do always wonder that with... with those teams down the bottom is that why is it you're able to yeah. put on this mammoth display against a team that you're probably still going to lose to like Arsenal City but you can't do it against a team that if you put on that level of application you're probably going to beat their press in the first 40 against us was insane I thought they're going to be out on their feet by the hour mark and they're going to get picked off that's why you need a goal isn't it keeps yeah. you going and I've, I thought City would knock them for six because I thought that effort against Arsenal yeah. and then to lose it I thought again it, it's shattering I I would like and you know, I feel it if it's a team that I don't want to win but teams that camp on the edge of their six yard box and then the commentator tells us how unlucky it is that they've conceded it's like it's a fair point yeah. the, the free kick they give away on Trossard in stoppage time is the most ridiculous thing the ball's going out of play and he just knees him in the back and it's they make their decision making is really bad at times the, the goal they obviously one of the goals they give away against you is it your first one yeah, from the throw-in. Well, yeah. From the throw-in. <laughs> yeah. Bad enough in itself, they've <laughs> given that away. It. And then nobody is alert to it when you throw it. Yeah. It's, there's numerous ways that Arsenal can beat Luton. That shouldn't be one of no. the ways that they're scoring against you. Um, last two games then to go through. Not much to add on. Chelsea, same old story once again. Deutsch's men beat uh, Chelsea 2-0. Goodison Park. Harper didn't turn up. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been at Goodison Park. And he didn't turn up. Didn't fancy that. He one. was that sure of the result that he didn't turn up. I mean, he was spot on. <laughs> you can't, you can't say he was wrong. Reese James sacked it again. Now I don't think you will have seen this tweet that came out in just before we were about to start. Actually, that said, "Where is Harper?" Reese James is the first. Reese James is the first captain I've seen to work remotely. I kind of respect it to be honest. Work smarter, <laughs> not harder. <laughs> <laughs> oh. who quit more this weekend uh, Bruno or Flames both, I, have, both have quit there Bruno's going I, saw, I don't need this game get me a yellow Yeah, when I saw people saying that's unlucky as well because he's getting I thought you think you didn't know that yeah. going into the <laughs> yeah. game yeah you know full well I saw a tweet and it said um, Bruno said when my legacy is written this game will not be a part of it <laughs> <laughs> just uh, a 7-0 instead Reese James has not been on the field for a league win since he tweeted New Era loading after the Liverpool game. Oh, yeah, that's tough. Um, Sam Hogg said era's end. Reese James <laughs> said New Era loaded. Maybe just don't say the word era. Maybe so that's the lesson. His sister is such a piece of work as well. I, you- I saw people almost sort of like applauding the fact that she stamped on someone to me. I was like, that feels like that's not a good idea. Yeah, we've got very different timelines because mine basically people were atting her saying this is now your fault that your brother got injured 20 minutes later <laughs> this is the karma that you brought karma to your family Cole Palmer being booked for a dive when 
He, got, he tried to play on as well. <laughs> yeah. he, he not only got fat, he tried to play on. Because if he stayed down, I, I think it did look like a dive in the first instance. But if the guy hasn't then looked for a dive, it's not like it's like Pro Evo where you know, there isn't VAR to be checking it and you just spam them buttons. Uh. It's not like he thinks he's going to get away with it unless he maybe thought there was going to be some contact. But just strange. It shows how eager these officials are to get the cards out. Because I think he'd stopped the game and then thought, mm, didn't think you were going to get straight back up. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely what he thought. So they were quizzing what's Earthworm Jim on Sky Sports News about it. And he's saying, well, Ted, they said, so is it that once he stopped the game, he has to give it? And he was like, well, to be honest with you, he can do what he wants. So he could have just carried on the game if he wanted to. So why is he giving Expert a book analysis, yeah. so what it's this is the guy we're told is the best in in the country horrible horrible get some advice in your ear and then and then do it it's, I, people would just there's always another thing with refereeing that's sort of like if I make a mistake I've got to double down it's like people will go if you went you know what I thought that was a dive wasn't alright yeah. carry on it wasn't like a he wasn't like bearing down on goal, and this was a huge decision. It, was, it became a story because you you carded a guy for diving that didn't didn't dive. The Standard reported today that both Poch and Chelsea have an agreement together to assess things at the end of the season. Apparently, that was always the way coming into things. Yeah, but like like married couples don't think they're going to get divorced. <laughs> they don't go, you know what? We'll have a look at this in a year's time. They think they're going to stay together. It just so, things go wrong, and again, now we've got to they, go separate ways. They were basically using this as a story to say, "Don't be expecting for an update tomorrow to say he's been sacked." They're in this to the end of the season, and ride or die. The idea was that at the end of the season, Poch can say, "This isn't working for me. I'm out of here." In the same <laughs> way that Chelsea can say, "This isn't working for us. We're out of here." Um. By the way, always a good sign. You've got faith in each other. <laughs> the fact that you can go, right, give it a year and see what happens. And much like every person with an ounce of common sense said, this is maybe why you don't give an entire squad eight-year deals. Because a lot of them might be shit. Come on, you, you, the business. You, you're not the business acumen. Do I need to tell you who the first man dragged was yesterday for Chelsea? Enzo? Enzo. Yeah, defensive yeah. midfielder that can't defend, an attacking midfielder <laughs> that doesn't contribute the goal. He scored two last week. I'm my bad, but Enzo is looking one of your uh, better takes. Has to be said. Um, well, because every Boston people whose opinions that I would trust say something like, "No, no, this weekend it looked like he'd put it together here." And I think, is there something up in here? But there's a weird thing with Chelsea as well, but there does appear to be some attempt to sort of justify what's going on. I saw someone earlier going, you got to realise, they're playing better than they were last season. But the whole thing was they were a disaster last season. When The whole point of why you brought in players was supposed to be, well, he's got, you're not winning the league this year, but you're definitely improving on what we've seen last year. Well, their fans keep doing the, well, when he joins Real Madrid, because he's definitely going to be a Madrid type player. And the, the time I've seen this in our own They're fan base... They're going to have to spend a load of money. Madrid aren't going to cough up the money they want for Enzo. I remember our fan base did this early on with Lucas Torreira. And it was like, <laughs> well, when Madrid coming for him? Because, you know, Casemiro's legs are going and this and that. The guy isn't, the guy isn't good enough. And there have, we've spoken 
By the way, shitting yourself about a player leaving because you worry what he'll do at another club is exactly what got United where they are. <laughs> they can really cap players Connor for as said, long as they have. Connor said today, just Martial when he cooks somewhere else. <laughs> that is an illness. <laughs> if you're still saying that now, that is an illness. Two years ago, I'd have been, I think you're, you're reaching here, mate. Now, Jesus. Yeah. Sheffield at home next for Chelsea. At home? Yeah. Okay, away, you'd, you'd worry. I, even then, though, even then, like what? Poch says he what, needs. What do you expect? Poch says he needs new players. More players. <laughs> Needs to look at the transfer. You don't. You need less. This, uh, I think it was the Standard are also reporting that he specifically asked for height. Just any tall. He wants a goalkeeper, a midfielder, and a striker. Sounds to me like he needs a six foot four, false nine midfielder, whatever he is. Sounds to Sh- me. Should have kept him. Like they're going to be putting some money on the table for Ivan Tony, and if I'm that man, I say no, thank you very much. You're coming to the arse, thank you very much. Well, there's talks that he's going to sign a new deal at Brentford, which seems completely mental. But I'm not sure that's happening. Yeah, if I'm if I'm him, see if the move to Arsenal or you know Arsenal or Liverpool, the Liverpool one isn't happening. But see if <laughs> one of those coming in January, if they don't say I'll buy my time and see you in a year. See yeah. in the summer if if one of them yeah yeah in. absolutely. Um, Deutsch spoke about the fact that you need good players, but you also need to know how to win in his press conference after, which seems very simple, but also clearly not when you look at what Chelsea are doing. I was about to say, is that just a shot at Chelsea rather than his own? But he said basically, he said straight after, but then you know they've got good players and they've got a good managers, so you know I'm not. I'm not sending the same this to anyone in particular. Yeah, it sounds a lot like you are. He also had two weird rants about dancing celebrations. <laughs> what? Did you see this? Yeah. I was, did he have something he needs to get off he his chest? He doubled down in his presser after and he said, I, I, I went up to him after the game and I, I did applaud him because just in the moment, <laughs> he was like, I don't, I don't understand it. And it just seemed, as we've spoken about before, like he's playing into the character. Absolutely. Like, this is something that the Sean Dyche in the media would say. And people were lapping it up, obviously. I mean... he uh, some You've people... got DCL up top. Have you seen some of his adverts, mate? I mean, come on. Dancing is the least of your worries. If if my main scorer is Decore and Decore wants to have a dance, I'm probably not sending shots at... Yeah, this is it. I was thinking, what, so any player who has done a dance or whatever or will do, you're basically there now, oh, shit, what do I do? I understood the sentiment in this is such an emotional moment and you've achieved the hardest thing to do in the game that I don't understand a why you have something pre-prepared. And obviously, it doesn't, stri- doesn't surprise me that the man prefers a knee slide to the corner. I personally prefer the knee slide to the corner and just let me see you go mental. Yeah, but not, not even though I disagree with what you said, it just seems an odd yeah, but then thing for you to bring up. I why do like bring watching Matt? When we used to have like Adebayor... A buet, and there was that weird crossover where Henri's still there, and they're doing the dance. I can get, I can get into that a bit. Oh, Sturridge was doing his thing. I was all for it. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I think if Gerard had tried doing that, we go. <laughs> maybe we don't do that. Maybe you stick to the slide or whatever. Everyone loved the Sturridge one, didn't they? I don't know anyone that didn't <laughs> like the Sturridge one. No one could do it as well. Everyone thought they could. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't know how he did it. His limbs just worked differently to everybody else's. We should get more tribute celebrations. Like I want to see. And Hoyland scores his first goal for you. Like, just do the storage. I want to I'll, just see random players. I want to see him attempt the Robbie Keane and put his back out for six weeks. Well, just, yeah, someone around. Let me see Fabio Vieira doing maybe the Anelka next time he tucks it away in. 
all of these things. <laughs> what does it say on the on United actually? Just God, I know we're going over old ground. The the McTominay thing again. He's in there basically scores a goal. But when they had Fellaini, they did it where they focused their entire game plan to getting Fellaini yep. to score goals. And I understand the principle of well, this guy is maybe a better finisher than anyone we have, or he can find the net better than anyone we have. But it, it's kind of the equivalent to us saying Fabio Vieira is the best finisher we have from here, so he has to play. <laughs> Regardless of how all of these things work, Fabio Vieira has to play, even if the players we have available mean he's in there with Erdegaard and he's in there with Havertz. Let's say we're doing it that. Rice yeah. is out and we say, you know, but we need a goal, so this is what we have to do. It wouldn't make sense to anyone, and yet they seem to just keep persisting with this thing. And United fans don't like him, but then he has a game midweek against Chelsea, where Chelsea, every time you think you know how bad they are, they do something to show you no, we're actually worse. Well, I mean, yeah, like if you want an idea of how gutless a team is, they made United look like they had some strength, strength and spirit. So that's how gutless they are. I know the McTominay thing is weird. Uh, because he's clearly not if you're playing him as one of your deep midfielders and going right Scott you've got to collect the ball and you're going to start the move for us he's clearly shown he's not that guy he can't do it but he is also showing he has good instincts for getting a goal and so if it's not going to be a great team but if you had two people sitting and him he can still work but pressing forward getting amongst the goals then that's probably the best for Scott McTominay, but obviously in that case you're not playing Bruno. I said to Connor, which I obviously would, can't be done. I would play him up front over Martial at this stage. I would do so <laughs> because he's at least going to press and, and do some of that stuff. And yeah, it's not like Martial isn't doing those things, but he's getting goals. He's not doing anything. He's not going to anything. Let's um, all the scrutiny there. Yeah, no. By the way, at some point it's got to come for Chelsea because it it does feel like we're kind of numb to how crap they are when. It shouldn't be. They spent. They have spent that money. They have a, a better team than they're showing. It's not. I know it's not perfect, and they just seem to pretty shit performances. And United get the heat. I know they're a bigger club, but they get the heat. And Chelsea just kind of sitting there. This like, is Poch doesn't really appear to be under pressure, and he absolutely should be. This is the worst a big team has ever been. I can't think of in for a sustained period of yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I said. To- Jack, because I had someone in my ear the other doing the you know Chelsea are bigger than Arsenal. I don't know why why anyone would care about this in the first place, but my answer would always be you engaged. My answer would always be Arsenal could not be this bad, and it'd be this little of a story. No, that is true. I don't That's know true. how bad we would have to be where the next loss becomes a non-story. Chelsea right now have less points after this many games than lockdown Arsenal. Can you remember how bad lockdown <laughs> Arsenal were? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's it's crazy, but yeah, people are just bored of it. It's, yeah. Maybe it would be different if United weren't also bad. That is true. Yeah, I think they probably would have more more heat if United were thriving. That's probably true. Or And the fact that you have Arsenal, City, Liverpool at the top of the table as well. So if any of them drop points, that's also a story. So maybe we've just used up the amount of stories. Yeah, I mean, the, the talk of the league is at the minute, isn't it, is that... Uh, Oh, nobody, nobody can put a set of wins together. Everyone's inconsistent. So even though... <clears throat> when the diff- It's actually that we've got three very consistent yeah, teams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's all... Like, nobody can put a run together when they're all actually on a, a fairly decent run. There you go. All right, let's close it out. Let's talk about Tottenham and Newcastle. A Destiny Udogi, Richarlison double and a Sun Hoingman penalty did the damage. Very one-sided game. 
ended a run of five without a win for Ange. And Joel Inton scored a late goal for the visitors. How did they do it? Is uh, Did you see this coming pre-game? If I'd given you uh, your chips and you had to put them on either side. No, I... I wasn't confident in Newcastle, but then I couldn't be confident in Spurs either after midweek. No, I didn't. I've Yeah, I thought Newcastle would give them some problems. Uh, the West Ham game is the first one of these that I thought was concerning for Spurs. I've done it on previous podcasts. I won't go over it, but I thought you could explain away the other results. I thought this one battered West Ham for that half. I thought West Ham didn't even show the ambition to win and they won. So something's yeah. gone horribly wrong. <laughs> uh, and then... But the, Newcastle that spent in this game, I thought. I thought they never had any intensity. Everything you would credit them for, the thing that obviously meant they smashed United out of the park, they were the total opposite of this game. And I know they've had a run of games and they've had injuries and these players have played a lot of games, but they looked out on their feet, I thought. Fair play. Those were good as well. Fair play to the manager in that he laid down the gauntlet midweek and basically said to some of these players, you better stand up because you might not have the chance to do so. And I've reworded what he said, but essentially put down the marker like Ten Hag has tried to do for United several times this season. <laughs> and the players the players stood up to it big time. Yeah, 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 that, absolutely. It was, a, it was a great reaction. I And it, it was hilarious, again, something I've spoken about before, seeing the fans tweeting about if you say anything about injuries the other team comes back having these two fan bases against <laughs> each other is perfect uh, but I looked at those two starting 11s and I said those, that's a perfectly fine starting 11 yeah. for each of them I, you go Davis centre half not ideal for Spurs but I actually think he's stepped in okay he hasn't been awful but you go okay if you could fix that that's not an awful team and it's similar with Newcastle it's not a dreadful three. they have about at least 8 of their 11s out each and if you go down the league I can point you to the Arsenal absentees. City will point you to the absentees they've got. United will point Chelsea. Chelsea, don't even ask them. <laughs> it's um, I thought I thought they were decent enough teams, but uh, but again, I I spoke about in the midweek games a lot of tight performances. I thought Newcastle carried that through to the weekend as well. They were they were one of the teams that really really shattered. Ten of, I think it was ten of Newcastle's starting eleven have started their last five games yeah, I think it was it. in the last much, like 15 days or something like that yeah. that left hand side for Spurs here with Udogi Son and Kuliszewski rotating down that side just wreaked a havoc Cooked for Newcastle past Gordon and Trippier I think it was definitely Trippier because we'll speak about him in a second <laughs> horrible horrible week <laughs> for that man but just every, everything looked like it was coming together here from what I saw with Spurs Saar I thought looked like he was taking on more responsibility and he seems to be taking on more weekly whether it's good or bad he seems to just be doing a bit more I think we spoke about him at the start of the season as a bit of a meat and drink midfield a bit raw at times His, the counter pressing from the Spurs midfield was ridiculously good here and it allowed them to play with the high line they wanted I think Newcastle nearly caught them out early with Isaac but he didn't have the belief to gamble and get on at the far post I thought that was real poor for me it's, it's usually I didn't really have a doubt that he was going to score no and for a player you know who's sort of valued like he is I think that's that's got to be a goal and then for for the doggy goal Son has Trippier doing a dance before <laughs> he skins him uh, second game in a week that he was just really really sloppy and 
I was critical of Ten Hag last week moving Rashford out of position. And although it is different, I did feel the same with Anne shifting Sun. I just thought, what has Richarlison shown you to justify when you're getting what you're getting from Sun? But Richarlison showed what he can offer the team. Dubravka was really poor as was Lascelles. Newcastle did him a solid as well, I thought, Richarlison. I was going to ask you this question because I know you are quite a fan of his. If Spurs, in the time of his absence, had given up on Richarlison, and we quite were going, a fan of his. They were going into January. He's hired you in the meantime as his agent, Richarlison. We said his psychologist or something. <laughs> what would you sell as his best attributes? Because obviously he offers things to a team. He started whenever he could for Everton. Now that he's in at Spurs, I know there's injuries in there, but they've put him as the focal point of their team yesterday. Once upon a time, I would have said his best attribute is borderline delusional self-confidence. <laughs> Okay. But he hasn't really shown that as Spurs. I no. actually thought his, his boy language looked like someone who is struggling a little bit. I, no, I don't think he has uh, a standout quality. I think he does a lot of things quite good across the board. But because well, you know, he he can produce a good finish, but he can miss a chance. He can be quite good in the air, but he's not dominant in the air. He's quick, but he's not lightning quick. He's he's decent enough. That's why when they signed him for sixty million pounds, yeah. I said I'm not sure. I would want something a bit more outstanding for my buck. So it it was more about what he doesn't offer you wide than what he offers you centrally in terms of the move since the midweek. Because midweek there was Sun through the middle and Richarlison wide and they've moved, they've swapped them for this game. Well, this was the other thing when he did sign for. I think you have to play him through the middle. And obviously at that point, they had Harry Kane. Now, if you want to sign him as a backup, fair enough. But I don't think Spurs are in the business of £60 million backups no. at that point. So yeah... I- I mean, I'm not lasting very long as his agent. From what I've just said there, I think I may get sacked on the first day. Did you think he had a good day. game here? Sorry? Did you think he had a good game here? I thought he was decent, but I did think, certainly even with the goals, I thought Newcastle, yeah. you know, they were um, rolled out the red carpet for him a little bit. How, how did Romero escape red? And we'll loop back around some of the other moments, but Spurs cruising after 80 minutes and he still can't help himself. Yeah, so... If you want to talk about them cruising, him not being able to help himself, that's absolutely fair. I I thought if this wasn't him, I don't know if I'd be scrutinising the decision as much. It probably is still a red, but I I don't know. I, this this level if, of contact... He deserves a- the reputation, so it's not unfair. But I, I don't know if... I didn't look at that and go, a yellow card is injustice that I thought he could stay on the pitch and that level of contact when the ball is gone is it doesn't look good I know it doesn't look good do, do you think and I don't know if I'm going crazy I feel that his reputation actually helps him it does in seem these circumstances sometimes. Neville still seems shocked that that each time he's like, oh he, yeah he's I, a character I quite like <laughs> it he does quite like it he's, he's a bit I, mad at him I couldn't, I couldn't. when he's declared I'm not having Pedro Porro. He's done nothing wrong by comparison shifted, to Romero. He shifted on him in that second 45 and he hasn't turned back, to be fair. Been the best thing that could happen to Porro. This would have been a four-game ban if he'd got the red here for a second for a second red of Is the season. Right? Yeah. He's only just come back, played one game. I couldn't believe it, but... To be honest, he probably should have got it for that because he, he does need some deterrent because he's but, just going to carry on doing well, the this. Thing is that- uh, that's clear. He, he has at least one of these every... There is not a game that goes past where he doesn't do this. And yet, I, he very rarely gets punished for it. It took two goes in the Chelsea game. Yeah, to get- absolutely. That was, him and Udogi, like, 
deserved extra red cards for how brain dead the decision making was. This, both both this got is let why off when initially. my timeline was full of Spurs fans and the way they were getting at Matty Cash for injuring Benton Kurt. Wow. Have a little look closer <laughs> to home because you've got this prick at centre-back that every single week is doing this and they love it. They love it when he does this. Yeah, he is he is cult figure sort of status for them. Now, I was really all over the shop post-game because when... Wilson's trying to have a word and he's just ignoring him and blanking him. I'm like, I really want to be mad this at is this. Great. I really want to be mad at this. But now that was great. That was oh Callum Wilson taking issue with like Picario making faces or something. Like, this Did is... you see the clip of him making the face? I didn't actually see it, I just saw Callum Wilson whinging. Let me see while we're talking if I can find it because you do you do need to see it to really get the full basis of it. But if ever there was an instance of it's no fun when the rabbit's got the gun. <laughs> Callum Wilson, please, you've got to realise what you're doing. Yeah, I, I would say this is the best I've seen Spurs in terms of everything coming together this season. In that they're going to give up chances, which I'm not going to harp on about that. Like, so if you'd see Sean's timeline after this game, you would think they were 16 out of however many points, 15 from 15. Um, but I thought this was a systematic beatdown of Newcastle across the game. They were physical, they were expansive, they were really exciting the way they were playing. It was controlled, which was the most promising thing from their perspective. And I thought it just really showed what this system is supposed to be. Because it's not... His system, regardless of how he's being spoken about, he's not setting up to play a basketball game every time. He's setting up because this is the best way he feels to get them to win. And he doesn't think he's going to win 5-4 every week. The idea is, it's risk-reward, and we feel that we can do this. Not that dissimilar from us, by the way. No. It's the same sort of thing. And But when he goes wrong, you're going to ship a few goals, and it's going to seem a bit of a crazy match. And when it doesn't, you're going to dominate a team like they've done to Newcastle here. The I guess they threatened to do this in some of these games where they lost in fairness but they were less clinical in this game they were clinical as well as doing all those things and Newcastle had to match their intensity and just couldn't for starters but Spurs finished their chances as well and apart from anything the good news for that is that okay I'm just watching I mean just put his tongue out I mean come on <laughs> it's a bit childish not, but what's literally. the Callum Wilson getting his feelings hurt about that Jesus the uh, the fact that they were um, clinical though did at least spare us because I do think at some point it was going to be coming if they kept not putting teams to the sword at some point an Arab was going to be are they missing Harry Kane because we haven't yet had that conversation but I know people in the media are desperate to at well, some point have that discussion after, it's not an unfair one I guess after three weeks we had a is Harry Kane regretting leaving conversation <laughs> so the, there is that as he had a stein in his hand well, I'm not sure <laughs> I like this actually yeah Callum Callum Wilson I, I, I turned off after some of the press coverage when the red zone had started, and then I was just on my timeline and I, I saw it pop up and it said, uh, "Callum Wilson addresses disrespectful Spurs, something like that." I, I couldn't. I was watching it and I in just complete disbelief. First of all, it hadn't clicked in my head the connection with Richarlison and Wilson. Because yeah. even then, I was like, "Okay, that's good." Because <laughs> if you're going to turn up once a season against someone, do it against the guys that have been laughing about the fact that you can't score goals, especially yeah. in a game when you've had to come off the bench. Absolutely, yeah. Now, 
maybe if you had to do it against one of them, Wilson seems more smug than Antonio. Antonio, I feel, is being led astray by uh, by Wilson. Do you? Okay, I think Wilson. I think Wilson is the ringleader. Really? That, oh wow! Duo. I think most people have that the other way around. Yeah, you you could be right. Well, I think because. Wilson's in a position where he's able to dunk on Antonio as well. Yeah. And so that maybe that's <laughs> just why it feels like it to me. I think there's also a part of Antonio where you're like, well, this guy, he can't really be backing himself this much. I mean, he must be in on the joke it, as well. Yeah, it feels more smug with Wilson. Yeah. And I don't know if it, his laugh just really annoys me. That might be, it might literally be that simple, but... The fact that he's got a bit of ability as well maybe makes it worse. Whereas Antonio, because he is what he is, it's it's kind of you know like if someone who's maybe not the best looking mugs someone for looking shit, <laughs> it's that that feels fine to me. If someone's really good looking and well dressed, does it? You're like that's a bit out of order. You don't need to do that. You're being a snob now. I don't know. It feels like once you're down at that level, it's fine. And I feel like Antonio's doing that. Yeah, it just yeah, particularly smug with him and. It is often the people that do dish it the most. They can't take you. That is, as we spoke, the people with the biggest punches, the worst chins, and all of that. He seems like he's got a very it, fragile. One. It Jeez. just feels like um, don't let other people know that that's how you're feeling. Get off the pitch, and we know nothing about that. We see the clip of him saying something to Vicario, and they ask him about it, and he's very keen to immediately say. They say, you know, we saw some words, and he said, "Yeah, I'll tell you about. I'll tell you what was going on." Grass. And the reporter at the end says, thanks for being so honest. And he says, yeah, of course. I mean, he's hardly just like revealed like trade secrets here. <laughs> yeah. Made a face at me. Well, I guess usually they say, you know, what happens on the pitch stays on the pitch. That's between us, that kind of thing. I really consider that one of the most ridiculous things ever if we had. If we had a video <laughs> of a keeper sticking his tongue out and he'd go, I'll keep that to myself, thank you. A bit too sinister to reveal on Sky Sports. I'm, I'm sure... Vicario is a prick. Plays for the right team to be doing that. But when you're keeping them out the way that he is, when you ultimately, when you're 4-1 up or 4-0 up in that circle, if you can't gloat then when can you gloat? Surely you've accepted by doing this podcast, right? Upside, I can laugh at people. Downside, they may laugh at me twice as hard surely you accept that going in they're also a team that pride themselves on doing that to other people because in in the same interview yep. he spoke about Pickford in the week and he said you know there's ways to win <laughs> this is a guy who gloated about scoring with a handball and said you know if they want to change the rules and let's do that more often then then we'll do that this is a guy who was cracking up after they jobbed us the other week and he's talking about you know, I was falling over and so I pulled Gabrielle down anyway. It's just funny, isn't it? You know, we both want to fight each other and... Tindall on the bench. Yeah, all this stuff. Thing. They love the fact that they're pricks. And so, own it and say... Yeah, that that is... When the team kind of tries to anoint themselves as the shithouse team yeah. and then gets it back, it is... Yeah, that's always a tough uh, growing pains for them. I think that just about does us. It was, I thought we were going to be about an hour and a half after the way we started, and we're two hours and 11 in. So Jeez. we're recording again tomorrow. I'm not sure when it will be out. So there is going to be a Christmas special coming, unless it goes horribly wrong, 
And then there won't be a Christmas special. <laughs> there is a planned Christmas special that could be hitting your timeline on Friday, could be next week. We're going to work at the schedule on that. But it seems that it's, it's not Christmas without the Christmas special. So uh, thank you for listening. We'll be back. Adios. <laughs>